Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They're the in crowd. We're the other ones. It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from. We let our color show where the numbers ain't. We're the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint. That's who we are. This is the Mike Keller Show. That's how we roll. Call the show at 877-729-1070. Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. A little bit of change of the programming going on for those who are listening to our uh, Milwaukee audience here on the Big 920 in Milwaukee. I'm in Milwaukee today, so Drew Olson and I are in studio together. We have uh, vacated the studio for John Audius. Uh, we just left him alone, <laughs> which management always worries about. Oh, so you've left John alone in studio again because they're never sure what's going to happen. You know what that means? It means pizza, pizza will be delivered because no. hey, we're not there. I finally uh, am working direct through our boys at Ian's uh, with our Ian's Pizza bet, and we're set up Monday. Uh, John's not awesome. in. And, Drew, you come to Madison, and we'll be all set up Monday afternoon okay. to uh, collect on what is certain to be another winning Ian's Pizza Bet this weekend. But in either case, any case, we have uh, we have not collected, personally, you and I, on our winning pizza bets. Only John has collected. So, uh, <laughs> it's so an injustice. It is. Welcome in on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm Mike Heller. That's Drew Olson right there. Hey, That's Drew. me. John Audius is the other guy over there. Hey, John. Hey, fellas, what's up? Sorry, no, me some don't even. Pizza. You know what? You, you have to be better at that. If you're going to fake something like that, you need to do it in a better fashion. Not make it sound like I'm chewing gum or something yeah. like Mike that? Mike did a better job of hiding eating that salad yesterday than you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, more red peppers, more green peppers, more cucumbers, more carrots. All have been, uh, that's, that's been almonds. the diet today. I got almonds in front of me, lightly salted. Um, and uh, and my only coffee of the day is uh, is happening as we speak, so all Ooh. that's all that's going on. Um, John, you have not uh, sent over, so I'm just wondering from a timing perspective. We have Ben Wargle in the four o'clock hour. We have Brian Anderson, the television voice of the Milwaukee Brewers on Fox Sports Wisconsin, who will join us at five o'clock. Uh, what else do we have, John Audius? I forgot to send the rundown to you, Mike. Forgot that you were not right. in studio. I was looking yeah. around like, is Heller hey, going to show up today? Is he going to show up at any point? He's got a show in. Come on, man. I thought he only flew in for big games. Oh. John, John only <laughs> wonders about that at about five minutes to two because he, he'll say, well, that's when Heller normally rolls in. It's not true, but uh, that's why Love he it. didn't figure it out until just now. Why send you a text when you're probably 60 seconds from walking into the studio is what I was thinking at about one fifty-seven. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, at 3.30, the voice of Badger Hockey, Brian Posick, will join us to reflect back on that anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. Plus, uh, some fun things going on there with Brian. He's going he's gonna to critique somebody. I don't know in, what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't, really? don't want to say too much, but he's going to critique one of us. Hmm. Uh, well, Drew, 
<laughs> my belt doesn't match my there. shoes today. Yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe he's going to critique me in a fashion sense. No, not fashion wise. Um, well, let's just let's just wait for Brian at three thirty. Okay. okay, all right, all right. We can wait. Uh, so we got a couple of Brian's on the show. Brian Posick and Brian Anderson today on the program. Uh, it, Fam- it is famous Brian's. Go, let's famous go. Famous Brian's for two hundred. Where can please. we go? Brian Cranston. Uh, Brian Gumble. That's Bryant's Gumble. You're already disqualified. Oh, what? That's it? a T. I'm done. Yes, you're done. Like you're, a first round, he's out. John, you got a Brian. Brian Russell? Uh, that's uh, Byron. Brian. Yeah, that's Byron. It's spelled like it's Brian. It's spelled weird. Man, he's got that. That's all right. Brian yeah. Butch. All right. Am I, uh, Brian, I can't uh, get back in? I was going to go Brian Banks, the former switch hitting Brewers catcher utility man. Wow, I got Jeez, I got knocked down in the first obscure. round. If I'd have known we were playing, Brian I'd... May from Queen, guitar player, guitar hero, Brian uh, May. Yeah, uh, well, neither John nor I can correct that. I'm out now. That's it. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, okay. Teller was out the first round. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. Um, all right, so uh, so we welcome you aboard, and we'll get the show started like we were supposed to. This is the Big Two at Two, the top two trending sports stories this hour. Number two. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to show. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. It's the anniversary, the 37th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice with the United States beating Russia. Um, so that kind of leads us to which upset win has given you the most joy as a sports fan? Yeah, because that one will never be surpassed. I heard, Drew, I heard you talking about it in, in the uh, Milwaukee hour at 1 o'clock. And it will never be surpassed because we've, you know, I mean, who knows where the political climate could go rolling forward. But it's a rare circumstance in which we as a country all rally around a single endeavor. And we had a Cold War enemy in Russia. And we had a, uh, a an Olympic hockey uh, medal round game against Russia in our country, at a terrible time in our country, uh, we all rallied around one team, one moment, one endeavor. And that just has never happened since. Not even the possibility. I mean, if USA wins another gold medal in the Olympics, it won't ever be like that. It won't yeah. be like that unless it's no. somebody that we're at war with. So, And I just don't see that that scenario is going to work its way forward. But certainly that one stands alone. From an upset standpoint... You know, I'm 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 more a fan of team than a fan of the game. So I don't know when. Uh, you know, there are rarities that we, as the teams that we follow, scored that amazing upset. I go back. My dad and, and one of my sisters, Terry, big Marquette fans. So the '77 Marquette win in the national championship game with Al McGuire and watching him cry on the bench at the end, knowing it was his last game and a national title. That was one of them. I was 14 at the time. Uh, maybe 13 at the time. So that's one. But I would also put in the Wisconsin win over Kentucky at the Final Four. Now, it doesn't culminate in a national title two nights later. But that was an no. undefeated Kentucky team. And given what had happened uh, 12 months prior, uh, that was probably one of those other moments. And I would also throw in Wisconsin winning the Rose Bowl over UCLA, the first trip in, the Daryl Bevel Rose Bowl. Uh, those would be the three that stand out at the top for me. Great upsets. See, now here's one that's not local, and I, I say this because I know Tom Hodricourt's busy covering the Brewers in uh, spring training. Chaminade beating Virginia with Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson was like the player of the year, and he was uh, amazing, and like they were a Final Four caliber team. They lost to Chaminade in Hawaii. And Chaminade, really? That, that, that was unfathomable. That was up there with the Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson upset to me. 
They were seismic. They were tectonic plates shifting. Like, what? Seriously? A tiny, what, was the Shamanad Division 2 or 3 at the time? Yeah. Division 2, maybe? Yeah. Tops. And tiny school in Hawaii beat Ralph Sampson in Virginia. That was, like, unthinkable at the time. I remember this one, and it's it's not a, a local one, but uh, as a big fan of the NBA in the 90s, I remember the eighth-seeded Nuggets beating the Supersonics. I don't know why that one kind of stands out to me, because Dikembe Mutombo was holding the basketball as he laid on the floor. Do you guys remember that? I remember that, yeah. Eight-seed over a number one seed. I remember I remember that one a lot. Mike's um, example of Badger basketball, that was awesome. That was so cool to see Kentucky lose for the first time. Um, that that's another one for me that kind of stands out just off the top of my head right now. Yeah, did I ever tell you what kind of seat I had for that game? <laughs> no, where were you sitting? Courtside, <laughs> almost toes on the wood. I would bring out one other one, and this is again not local. Uh, January nineteenth, nineteen seventy four, Notre Dame beating UCLA to end the eighty eight game winning streak. They did so in South Bend, Indiana, in Notre Dame, Indiana, now at the Athletic and Convocation Center. And as a kid, I've said this many times. As a kid. Not now so much, but as a kid, I was a big Notre Dame fan, both in football and basketball. So to watch that happen, and uh, you know, I'm That's... 11 years old, I guess at the time, and that that is, I've never forgotten that. That's up there. Yeah. yeah. By the Great way, shout, shout out to Armin who texted me. He remembers that Nuggets upset over the Supersonics in 19 because he just watched it on YouTube last night. That doesn't count. <laughs> he watches old games on YouTube, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. I know. It's hilarious. Makes me feel sad. It's funny. It's awesome. Hey, if you have one uh, and you're listening right now, you can tweet at Mike Keller Show, at Heller Sports, at Drew Olson MKE, at John Audius Radio, or you can call 877-729-1070. That's 877-729-1070. <laughs> Number one. So baseball is doing this, huh? They're going to just point you to first if you want an intentional walk. Is that the, that's the deal? Like, this is good to go? And we heard about all these other things that Rob Manfred potentially wants to explore in the game of baseball. What do you think of all these tweaks and changes perhaps coming to Major League Baseball? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, I mean, I think it's good that you're progressive and in trying to make the game fit into the modern culture. And we're uh, more immediate. We want things to happen a little quicker, sports culture. Uh, it used to be uh, not quite so. So I, I, I don't think, hey, the intentional walk is no big deal. It happens once every couple of games. Maybe if you follow a team, it might happen once or twice a week. So you're going to save a minute in a week, uh, yeah. a minute or two. Uh, I do... I don't mind it. I know some people are critical of it. Well, why are why are you working on that? It only saves a minute or two a week in five or six games span. You're only going to save that much time, and it does take out an element of the game. I get it. In college, in, in many college environments, you just do that. That's what you do. An, a a four-pitch walk is uh, – intentional walk is just signaled, and the runner can go to first. Um, sure. But in Major League Baseball, I know that the purists are going to say – you have to execute those four wide pitches. And when you don't, you can throw one yeah. to the screen. Kelly Leak hit one. Yeah. The Bad News Bears, remember? Yes. <laughs> Stepped into the other box. So, so you can throw one to the screen or somebody, if you don't put it far enough outside, somebody yeah. can reach out. Yeah, you could. Yeah, but you I, could. I'm all for ruthless efficiency, right? And even though this doesn't this doesn't save a lot of time, maybe a minute a week or something. But, yeah. But here's the thing. To me, the, the intentional walk, the idea that something could happen, 
the ball went to the screen or got past the catcher or something happened on that play with about the same about the same percentage as a missed extra point when they had the extra point when that was a layup. Yeah. And it was so it's not worth it's it's worth changing. It's worth getting rid of. Yeah. So uh but we'll delve a little bit deeper into that. Uh, let's continue that in a moment. 877-729-1070 because uh, some people are screaming that baseball has major issues, but I'm not one of them. Uh, and I want to get Drew's thoughts on that too. I, I know that there should be some tweaking, but for those that think that the game is dying, um, I'm not certain that I'm there. But I like that Rob Manfred is exploring options where baseball is concerned. By the way, we will visit with Brian Anderson about some of these topics at 5:05. But we'll take your calls, talk more about this when we come back. This is a Wednesday edition of the Mike Heller Show. Back with you on the Wednesday edition of the Mike Heller Show. Sitting on a countdown until we go to spring training. It's less than two weeks. We'll be there on March the 7th, so two weeks from yesterday, 13 days from now. Drewlson and I will be at Brewers Spring Training and broadcasting live shows Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from Maryvale or different parts of Arizona. We might travel around. I mean, uh, I think Thursday the Brewers don't have a game in Maryvale, they're on the road, so we yeah. might go to the Padres complex. Yeah, and... the Peoria Sports Complex. Fantastic. We'll see some uh, San Diego fans. Um, the Padres are going to be more popular now that the Chargers are gone. Yeah, when you're a one-horse <laughs> town. Uh, you know, no NBA team and no NFL team, so it's a right. one-horse town San Diego is now. So uh, we're going to be there in 13 days and looking forward to it. We were talking about Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. Is being progressive, and I think he's been progressive. I thought Bud Selig in his final years was uh, was more progressive. Baseball kind of has to be. It, we're in a sporting environment for the fan bases in which our patience as a fan base is limited. Uh, I know a lot of people complain, and here's here's what I always wonder, Drew, and you're not the best person to ask on this. I'm going to say that in advance. <laughs> There's a lot of questions like that. Well, no, I mean, I, I love your expertise. You've been around a game a long time. But those who have been around the game a long time, and especially those who work in the media, one of the first things that you guys talk about in the press box is length of games. You don't want the long games. No, I like don't the- know how much the fan who's in attendance has an issue with the length of game. I think the television ratings sometimes reflect the tune-out factor, especially if there's limited action in a game that is taking too long. I have seldom been at a game as a fan, a ticket-buying fan, and said, wow, this game has gone too long. That's happened, but far less often than those in the press box that cover the sport. And I wonder how those two come together. It's uh, well. It is an interesting dynamic. When you're paying for your ticket, you're being entertained, and you're you're paying attention. When you're there every day, the stuff that happens between innings isn't a factor. Right. You're not consuming the scoreboard stuff, or the you know, you're not trying to guess yeah. which 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 hat the ball is under on the scoreboard. You're not playing those games, and you're not. So it's, it is. It's a different experience. But it is more about to me about the pace of play and right. just uh, the the excitement because you can have a very taut, exciting three and a half hour game and you can have a boring two hour and twenty five minute game. And what's interesting too about some of the rules that Manfred has proposed and the one that you know right the the intentional walk just going to point you to first that comes right. Did you guys hear what happened in college baseball last night? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, yeah, that happens in college baseball when this went down. Now this is a little dangerous for them. 
He's throwing two. Oh, he choked it, it to the backstop. There it is. Magic on a wild pitch. Texas A&M on the first Tuesday night of the year wins it walk-off style. That was on an intentional ball, an intentional walk, and it goes over the head of the catcher, and the game's over. So it's kind of funny the timing of everything. Like you, you take yeah, that kid a- from Stephen F. Austin isn't going to be pitching in the major leagues anytime <laughs> soon. John Axford just posted uh, a, a video of when he was uh, in the Sports Center's not top ten from 2013 when he overthrew the head of a catcher and a run scored on an intentional walk. So I mean, it, it's going to happen. So when you talk about, I'm all about shortening games, getting the pace of play, all that. I'm about all of it, and. This play in particular, though, when you look at the numbers, it doesn't save a lot of time. No, but here, here's here's the deal on this. I I think we should just they've got the automatic uh, four pitch walk. You go to first base. I think that should be the last we hear of it. I I think you know that scenario that played out in college baseball last night. That is the ultimate rarity. I don't know what the percentage of that that happens, but let's just leave that alone. This is It is not a big deal to have the intentional walk be an automatic four-pitch deal. It doesn't save them a ton of time, but it's also a formality that baseball has in its game that doesn't need to be there anymore. Nobody is entertained. There's no competitive advantage, disadvantage, except for that very rare circumstance. So let's leave that alone. My issue with baseball... And and if you're working on the time of the game, my issue with baseball is they have to break free of the chains that have bound them in some of the traditional rules. And I'm talking about now, the game changed. So the seventh inning on, many times the sixth inning on, that's the issue. It's not innings one through six. It is a tight game in the sixth inning. And you go lefty versus lefty, then you go righty versus righty. There are two mound visits uh, you know, in between. They've made the pitching change. And those are the issues. That's the game-slowing deal. Now, traditionalists will say you can't restrict the number of managerial moves where pitchers are concerned. Yet I'm just saying to you that if, if your number one objective is is to get games under three hours on average. And last year, I think it was 308, 306, whatever that number is, and that was up eight or nine minutes from the year before. The only way to, the issue is those innings, six, seven, and eight, six, seven, eight, and nine, drag on because managers are going to play numbers over and over and over again. There are one pitch, one batter situations, and that's, those pitching changes are, those are the minutes. You know, you make one pitching change, you've got a four-minute drag on the game. One pitching change. You intentional walk somebody, we're talking about less than a minute. It happens once every once a week, you know, for, for your team. So I, I'm more inclined, and again, this rubs baseball people the wrong way, and I kind of think of myself as a baseball person, but I'm more inclined with being progressive and leaning in the direction that says – you get what that number is. I'm not sure X number of pitching changes, or maybe no more than two in an inning, or I don't know how that works, Drew. I know that traditionalists look at that and go, "Oh my God, you can't do that to the game." Yeah, I'd rather see four warm up pitches instead of eight. Yeah, on the mound. Yeah, I'd rather shave that out in between innings. Yeah, when you're coming out. Or, but the or, issue no, with that out, is commercial time, right? I, I mean, like pitching changes. Yeah, and, and like when when, you, when a new pitcher comes in, he gets four warm up pitches instead of eight. That's you know doesn't have to take eight, right? Yeah. 
But the in-between innings, you know, like when yeah. the starting pitcher those comes are, up for the third and he gets eight. Those, you're not cutting into commercials. That's yeah, a fact. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. They've yeah, already but, cut into it a little bit, right? And, and, and that is really tight when television and radio comes back. you got to get to break when the third out of an inning is, is made. And, and then you, Because you got to get back, otherwise you're going to miss live action. This is a case against a lot of people who hit me with the, uh, you know, I hate seeing pitchers bunt and they should have the DH in both leagues. American League games are longer. When you have more offense, the games are longer. The pitcher batting, and again, I go to my idea, again, is to have the the DH married to the starting pitcher. And when your starting pitcher exits the game, you lose the DH for that night. Because from the sixth inning on, you never see pitchers bat anyway. Right. They're Brewers relievers who don't even take BP. And as soon as they do that, then you see the relief pitcher come in, and that necessitates the pitching change, right? Yeah. yeah. And you, you, see... you bring the pinch hitter to the on-deck circle. As soon as he's announced, you get yeah. the pitching change. So one of the things about the intentional walk that I always hated was when managers would bring a guy in from the bullpen, and he would warm up, and then the first batter he'd face, he would intentionally walk. Yeah. I always thought that was the dumbest thing because then, okay, then let's warm up, get hot, and then throw these lollipops, and then dial it up again and pitch to the next guy. And I always thought, why not have the guy who was leaving issue the walk? Now it doesn't matter because they can just point the guy to first. But I always thought that was really dumb. And I think at some level, and you may agree or disagree, and would love to hear from you, 877-729-1070, 877-729-1070. What we're arguing about is time, all right? Uh, it's quantifiable, but we're talking about eight or nine minutes in a game. All right, eight or nine minutes. Yeah. But what we really should be talking about is action, right? Because yeah. we're devoid of action. It's not Absolutely. that the fan is bored because the game went three hours and eight minutes. Every NFL game goes three oh eight. It's not bored yeah. because of time. It's bored because of inactivity. And I, I would say I, I'm I totally agree with you because now that you're up around thirty percent of at bats of plate appearances end in a walk or a strikeout. There's not there's no ball in play. When the ball is in play, even if it's a ground ball. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Well, it's something to watch. When a guy's walking to first base or walking back to the dugout, that's tough. And, and then the other element of this, obviously, and this comes into play all the time uh, that we've seen, is there's been a fundamental change in the way the game is played from the way hitters are approaching their at-bats. Strikeouts used to be a, a bad deal. When I was a kid growing up playing baseball, two strikes, you found a way to put the ball in play. Find a way to put the ball in play. That dynamic has flipped 180. It is not putting the ball in play is no longer uh, quantified as being, hey, this is something you need to do. They don't want hitters to take anything off their swing. They want a two-strike approach as a hitter in most scenarios to be unchanged. And that's strikeouts, yeah. strikeouts take longer. They take longer, exactly. And it's less action. 
And that's what people want to see. You're absolutely right. And I'd counter that by saying anybody who's been to a, an NFL game, even a college game now, in person, you'll see a lot of standing around in football. It's a, it's different. Football is a different experience on TV than it is at home. So is baseball to an extent. But when you're in a stadium and they're away at a timeout at home, you might not notice it. In the stadium, you're like, well, everybody's just standing around. This well, is pretty dull. At home, we don't notice it because we're on red zone or we flip to the other games if you've got the or Sunday at the ticket. Fridge or or the you got, yeah, <laughs> it, it just, it never, that time never seems to apply. No. Uh, but if you're in stadium, it always does. And in Major League Baseball, that, those times are times in between pitches. And that's Rob Manfred talking about a pitch clock. That That is getting batters to stay in the batter's box, which was an initiative two years ago when they began the season, and it's kind of waned. I don't think it's enforced anymore. You're still able to step out and do the things you want to do. Do the gloves and everything. Yeah. Yeah. 877-729-1070. Jim in Wausau. Jim, welcome to the Mike Heller Show. Hello, Jim. I couldn't hear Jim. He was sleeping. He was taking a car nap with his radio on, and we got to listen. John, would you uh, translate what Jim said? I think John's answering Jim's trying phone to call. call. Yeah, trying, trying to call, to call Jim back. back. He Reconnect. got Jim's call back number. Hey, if my phone breaks up, call me back. I think Jim was just taking a Mike Heller car nap. I think he yeah. had fallen asleep. Yeah, yeah, car naps are solid. Listen, I, I today's <laughs> driving, was, but... no, no, no. Well, you pull over in a park. And Chevy, just... Chevy Chase in vacation. The car nap while driving, <laughs> if it's filmed, can be really entertaining, uh, but not in real life. No, John, I was pulled over to the side of the road, and it's a it's a little ten minute deal. I'm I. Those those little naps for Ram me. Ram that seat back. They are life changing. I don't have that. You know, I might I might fall asleep on the mic like some of our listeners do. <laughs> I've got two things for you as far as baseball and how to speed it up, pace of play. So obviously, you two guys are huge baseball nerds. So hey, what? Hey, so nerds? if you if in your, all the things you're talking about, Mike, with pitching changes and Drew, you know, you've got your DH idea. Um, how much time do you think, if everything went right and you could implement everything you wanted to, how much time do you think you could save in an average on an average game in an average game? Oh man, I'd say fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, so if you because, make the game two hours and fifty minutes, two five when, zero. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's easily attainable. And that that's a generation ago in the in the seventies, maybe even touching the early eighties. That was about time of game. I would say, yeah, and. That's one of the things that strikes me when I see games from the 80s or, you know, uh, you, you say the guy just stayed on the hill, got the ball, and threw it again. There, yeah. there wasn't a lot of walking around and but rubbing the ball But there also weren't all the pitching changes. I mean, we're talking there about weren't... going back to Raleigh Fingers, three-inning saves. Uh, Goose Gossage, three-inning saves. And I'm, I'm just, I will make the argument till I'm Ed. blue in the face that the biggest time drain in baseball has been pitching changes. It had nine and ten-man pitching staffs, too. Yes, not thirteen starters would steps. starters would almost always pitch into the seventh or eighth inning, and if you did go to bring in Raleigh Fingers or Goose Gossage, you brought them in with one out in the seventh. Yeah, it would be an it would be an eight out save. That's the drain on time. And again, in stadium, I don't know how many people have huge issues. There are the uh, dragging games that are four hours. You go, what the hell was that? This is something the NBA and college basketball have to address at the end of games because it's timeouts. I think that's dragging. absolutely just as bad. 877-729-1070 is the phone number. Toll free, 877-729-1070. Back in a moment. More of your phone calls next on The Mike Heller Show.
trust me, a little bit later on, we're going to talk about Tom Crean. Not for very long, but I just, I'm so glad I'm not an Indiana basketball fan and wasn't a, a front and center Marquette fan when Tom Crean was in Milwaukee either. Because I think the guy is a good guy. I think Tom Green is a good guy. I think he does a lot of good things. Everything I've ever heard about him is that in that environment, he's really good in the community and uh, front and center and represents well. But if you're into winning college basketball games at a high level, Tom Crean will tease you with great recruiting and he will disappoint you with less than great coaching. His teams don't buy in. His teams aren't disciplined when, it, when push comes to shove at the end of games. And uh, I've had, that's a long-held belief, and most Marquette fans would agree in that concept that Crean, great recruiter, but just, you know, the teams don't play winning basketball in key moments consistently enough with Tom Crean. And I think he's probably going to be on the out at Indiana. I don't know that they'll make the tournament. I think he's going to be out and then uh, we'll see if North Carolina State comes calling because that's where you do. That's what you do. There, Mark Gottfried is already out. So North Carolina State, bring in a guy like Tom Crean. He'll recruit the heck out of it. What if he ends up at Michigan? I can't see it. I think he's failed in the upper Midwest enough that they get the concept that it's his, not going to work. His brother-in-law's got a lot of pull there. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, <laughs> so, so I've heard. That would be something else on the family plan. We'll, uh, we'll get a little deeper into Crean conversation later, but I was uh, tweeting on that a little bit last night and drew some ire from some of the fans. And then there's a bunch that agree with it as well. By the way, a, uh, a happy birthday to Gilbert Brown today. Gilbert Brown. I just tweeted at the big fella. The digger. I tweeted at him earlier saying, hey, what, it's your birthday? We're not hanging out? I thought we were going to listen to music. We're BFFs. And he said, hey, little fella. Uh, we are BFFs. But uh, he didn't want to hang out and listen to my music. Uh, probably not. Yeah, I had a little um, you know, Jake Owen going on, a little uh, Eric Church, Luke Bryan, <laughs> uh, Miranda Lambert. And he, he, he said no to any no, of that. No, thanks. Uh, we're talking some baseball. And when we're talking about baseball in this grand scheme of things, there's so much, in my opinion, too much conversation being had about baseball and length of games. It's not the length of games that's the issue. It's some lack of activity. And, and baseball has fundamentally changed in the last decade or so that the strikeouts are far more prevalent. And every time there is a strikeout, there is not a ball in play. And when that happens, there's less action. And when you get less action, people start complaining about there's not enough action. And look, the game lasted three hours and 23 minutes. In the NFL, if the game goes 323 and it's a good game, nobody says anything about time. So it's not about the time. It's about the activity of what's going on. Baseball has to address some of its fundamental flaws. and But you're not going to change, Drew, the philosophy no. that says strikeouts aren't bad for a hitter if that is more offensively efficient to not change hitter's swing with two-strike approaches. Then they're not going to change it because it takes less time. If you want to get really radical... Um... Three balls, two strikes. Mm, I, <laughs> Seven innings, three balls, two strikes. Oh, John, John said. Hey John has said uh, for a number of years, if you're going to reinvent the game right now, why not go to seven innings? The uh, I remember. Well, Doug Melvin has a, was a fan. You know, they do these split squad games in spring training stuff. He was a fan of like seven inning double headers in spring training, which oh, I thought yeah. was interesting because then you pay fourteen innings and you get everybody work that you need. There were some people that talked about um, the eliminating defensive shifts, so you always have to have two in infielders on one side or the other of second base. You cannot put three infielders to the right of second base for a left-handed all pole hitter. What does Mikey Baseball think of that? Because I kind of think not. 
not a big baseball guy, but I think that's kind of whack. I you don't know, think you should be able to do that. The, the games get longer as the year goes on. The World Series games are the longest. Why yeah. is that? Um, obviously, more pitching changes, for more, one. More uh, pressure, more TV Managerial visits to the mound. Every Managerial pitch takes visits. on more importance. More an extra commercial squeezed yeah, in. Yeah, and that happens, too. It's probably the biggest thing. So my thing is the, the time between pitches. You're big on pitching changes. I'm big on time between pitches because I, if I can shave 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there, it's going to add up. So is that incumbent on the pitcher or the hitter? Because we, we brought up pitch clocks, and I don't think you're a fan of that. So how do you how do you eliminate time between pitches if you don't time it? If you don't put something into play? Yeah, I mean, just not letting guys uh, walk around like this, and especially stepping out of the box, the gloves and everything. So think of these Everybody's radical... Everybody's now Mike Hargrove. Yeah, Remember that? Yes. Think of these radical ideas. Uh, a pitch clock that would allow any pitcher... Um, X number of misses, you know. So let's say that pitch clock is, for lack of a better time concept, it's a 24 second pitch clock. If you had a 24 second pitch clock and your starting pitcher had, you know, you get X number of overs in an inning until there's an automatic ball. Again, these are all radical ideas, and, but baseball is looking at them. They're they're looking at all of these. Eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy. Jeff in Wausau. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the Mike Heller Show. Hi. How you doing? I wanted to say I listen to you guys every afternoon, and I uh, love your show. That's awesome. Thank you. Now, uh, you know about the about the, uh, the duration of the games and whatnot. <clears throat> I, I'm a I'm a diehard Yankee fan, and if you look back when the Yankees were dominant, they're at the late '90s and early 2000s when they played Red Sox. The Red Sox. Those were the longest games in the history for a nine inning game. It was unbelievable. You know, with Joe Torre going out to the mound and Francona and everything. But everybody, I don't know why they're worried about the duration of a game in a game that has no time clock. Well, I mean, the reason they're – and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Drew, but the reason they're worried is uh, uh, it's the next generation. It's the millennials, yeah. and will they continue to go to games, and will they continue to watch games if it is not What we like rapid? about it is that there is no clock and that it, it unfolds at its own pace. And the great thing about baseball is – you can start watching a game on TV, go somewhere in the car, pick it up again, pick it up, and you can take it with you, kind of. And that's kind of the part of the appeal. But it is a different in-stadium experience. But, yes, the, when the TV deal's up in four or five years, the national TV deals, they want to be able to get top dollar. And they want to, that means keeping the ratings high and keeping the attention of a young audience. Because right now, I think I saw a stat that in the postseason last year, the average age of people watching was in its 50s, which is frightening for baseball. Uh, does that mean I should stop watching? Means you're right in the target I mean, demo, in their man. Wheelhouse, but I'm not who they want to target. No, they want to get the 30s. Yep. They want to get John audience. John and has no patience for this game. I I really don't. Um, and I'm sure even people younger than myself, it's probably even worse, which is kind of scary to think about. You so, know, when you, when you talk about a pitch clock, real quick. Um, this is from uh, milb.com. Um, and it's 2016 pace of game regulations. And part of that is a 20-second pitch timer. Now, they cite in this article the International League saw a reduction in average time of games from 2 hours 56 minutes to 2 hours 40 minutes. The change came as a result of a league-wide commitment there to pace go. of game policies. The 20-second pitch clock and, and also mound visits by the manager or coach are timed at 30 seconds. What's also interesting, Mike, you, you may be the pitching, the pitching changes themselves are about 2 and a half minutes. Right? It's like yeah. an extra commercial break. Right. But the relief pitchers in general take longer between pitches than starters do. 
and because it's higher leverage probably in some right. of it and situationally. Sure. But then, like, I saw a stat that the Dodgers pitchers last year out of the bullpen were averaging like 26 seconds between pitches, which was the highest. So some teams, when the Yankees and Red Sox played, they played those four-and-a-half-hour games because they were always working counts, trying to get pitch counts up and taking pitches. Some teams just systemically take longer. But the Dodgers were, if it's 27, 26, 27 seconds between pitches, that's a long, that, well, that's going to add up. And then some managers treat it that way, too. Joe Madden's uh, Chicago Cubs teams were in the, the mode of working pitch counts. They take more pitches than other teams. You know, and again, this this is philosophical. Some of it is, because when you go back, to, depending on what managers' views are, some managers have had the view of taking the first best pitch you see as a hitter, and then sabermetrics come into play and say that that might not necessarily be the right thing to do, and maybe that depends on who the opposing pitcher is. What's his percentage of strikes? You know, against Greg Maddox, you wouldn't necessarily want to work the count. Because Greg Maddox threw a lot of strikes. Exactly. But against a, a pitcher that has a higher walk total, uh, some managers might say, hey, uh, y- y- I don't want you going right away. You need, you need to hold. Well, there's a, this is a, such a deep water conversation, but I think it's important. We'll get to more of it coming up. This is the Mike Heller Show. They're the in crowd. We're the other ones. It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from. We let our colors show where the numbers ain't. We're the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint. That's who we are. This is the Mike Keller Show. That's how we roll. Call the show at 877-729-1070. Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. Hey, welcome in on a Wednesday afternoon, the last day of summer until we get to spring, and then we'll get to summer again. But it's the last day of summer where temperatures are concerned in Wisconsin. Enjoy this afternoon because it's about to change. And, you know, Drew made the bet the other day, when, and he can make the same today, uh, the, the idea of today's high temperature will be greater or less than the high temperature on Brewers opening day, April the 3rd. I feel good about that bet. Drew's feeling really good about really it. Really good. I haven't heard anybody take the uh, the opposite side. No of one's it. taking it. Yeah, it's a I sucker mean, bet. Harder no Court called it. it a sucker bet. I think, it, and it is. Uh, maybe John will take it. We'll, we'll ask him. Mike Heller with you in studio, but in our Milwaukee studios at the Big 920, we also welcome aboard now um, our affiliates in Wausau and obviously in Madison and wherever you might be listening to us on iHeartRadio Welcome aboard. This is the second of four scintillating hours of this Wednesday edition of the Mike Heller Show. I'm Mike. That's Drew. That's me. Uh, Drew is working on a Mountain Dew. John, are you wearing a hat today? Hey, fellas, what's up? No, the Wisconsin women's basketball team has senior night tonight at the Kohl Center. I'll be oh, broadcasting the game. So I have, yeah, I am not wearing a hat. I don't wear hats to the games like that. You know, here's here's a little deal uh, that uh, I won't, have always kind of wanted to talk about. From a radio perspective, um, what is the what is the etiquette? It's it's everybody's own individual deal, but a dress code when you're doing a game on radio. 
Is it because you're down near press row or on the court in basketball that you're, John, you're wearing like a jacket, sometimes a tie? I've, a, a lot of times a tie. I, I've always been uh, told to, you know, kind of look the part, make a good first impression. So, I mean, I'm just always looking to, to do that. I want to I wanna hold myself like a professional, right? So, and I know the radio side of it can be a little bit, you know, laid back as opposed to if, if I'm on TV, I'd wear a whole, I'd wear the whole get up, you know, I'd have a suit and everything for sure. Um, I don't know. I just like to look the part, you know, I like to look, uh, okay. like to dress like I, like it means something to me. Yeah. That's why when I come into the show on, you know, when I'm not doing a game, I wear backwards hats and shorts and flip flops. That's right. why I'm wearing a hoodie today, you know, just <laughs> ah. a zip up hoodie because, uh, why, why do I care what it, what it looks like today? You know, it's radio, John. <laughs> Just saying, right? Covering well, games in Major League Baseball for all those years. What was your, yeah, well, what was your etiquette? Not a lot of fashion box? plates in uh, Major League Baseball. It's not uh, jeans. Uh, was okay. Yeah, tried not to, but yeah. I mean, you can, some people can look dressed up in jeans. Jeans, a uh, uh, button-down shirt, and a sport coat can look dressier than some people in rumpled dockers and a. <laughs> You know, and a, and a mustard-stained so, golf shirt, but it, yeah, it depends. So like, yeah, and I, I I got pulled aside early in my career. I think I was wearing. Somebody told me, "Hey, don't wear shorts. Like, even if it's ninety-five degrees out, don't you know? Everybody has their own sliding scale of what you're comfortable with, but you try to look professional." There is a show topic down the road of the uh, press box etiquette, the no-nos, and how often you've seen them abused. Uh, I think I caught some flack from John and Phil a few years ago. We were there on a a day game, and it was cold. And I was ill prepared for how cold it was. We're sitting in the press box, so I went out and bought a, a sweatshirt or something. But it had Brewers. You know, I can't buy anything yeah, there that's can't. not logoed. And then it's against the rules to do that. That's true. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, aren't there Mike new, Vassallo would yell at you. Aren't there new press box rules that went into effect a few years back? They did. Yeah, there's uh, like the flip flops are not a go anymore. Like you closed toe. <laughs> no what more a- beer. Yeah, well, <laughs> that went away a while closed ago. Closed toe, uh, no tank tops. So, like, who would wear a tank top to cover a game? I just don't yeah. you know. I, no, no beach apparel, basically. So it's like a, a, a decent golf course etiquette as far as the, the clothing, the, yeah. the attire. Yeah. What if you're like a, a female reporter? You can't wear. Well, like there a are different sleeveless. rules at a golf course for uh, women on yeah. the golf course too. For they men, can it's wear a skirts. collared shirt. Uh, for women, it's not. It's just that your shoulders are supposed to be covered, or I don't even remember what the etiquette was you when I was. Get, you might get sunburned. That's just a safety issue, is what they're. Uh, no, I don't think there was. Oh, a is that not a safety issue? issue? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, should we do? Should we get the show started? I guess so. If you want to, yeah. we've got callers too who are lined up. So. This is the big three at three. The top three trending sports stories this hour. Number three. Tommy Rage tweets in at John Audius Radio and at Heller Sports. Mike Heller, admit it. You're broadcasting today from the station without any pants on. No, that's <laughs> aren't that's, you? Uh, come on. What what is what's going Tommy on here? Rage. Tommy, knock it off. Hey, listen, on television, when I was doing weekends on television sports, shorts were okay. Because it was a sit-down broadcast. Yeah. Now, in a lot of these markets, uh, the sports set, a lot of times it's a stand-up. That's right. And couldn't have done it then. But many times, you know, you, there were no crosstalks in which you were standing or ever visible from the waist down. So a lot of times, especially all summer long, on a Saturday and Sunday in there when there's no business going on, going on, uh, you're just wearing shorts, and you put on that shirt and tie and jacket, uh, you know. And then, you know, if you're Dan Needles, you get thirty yeah, thirty minutes makeup session, and, yeah. and then go on. 
So, sorry, that was not fair. Dan's a, Dan's a handsome man, seldom needs makeup. That's true. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, number three in our big three at three. Uh, the rumors about Jay Cutler are out there that the that the Bears are trying to deal their quarterback. So the question I ask is, let's say you're one of those teams that wanted Tony Romo, whether that's the uh, the, the Texans, whether that's the Broncos, maybe the Chiefs or whatnot. Would you want Cutler as a fallback? I would want... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Cutler in Denver, I would want Cutler in Houston. Other than that, I don't know where I would want Cutler. But I think, I think it, it, we talked about this briefly yesterday. If you put Jay Cutler in on the Houston Texans' current roster, if you'd have had Jay Cutler as your quarterback when they played at New England, they could have beaten the Patriots. Because the Patriots walk through that game. And the reason Houston didn't fully compete is because Houston doesn't have a quarterback at all. So I, I think so. that I think that answer is listen, if you're Denver and Houston, maybe your first go to is Tony Romo. But if one of those two teams doesn't get him, I would think Jay Cutler is a good answer, short term. I want to see him in New York just because it'd be a train wreck. The Jets are a train wreck. Let him play for the Jets. Apparently, their quarterback coach was in Denver and Chicago with him, and they they're friendly. He might be the Cutler whisperer. Who knows? But just to see that, and to see that unfold, and to see it be dysfunctional, and see him do his you know pouting stuff, and have him ripped on the tabloids. I heard Rich Eisen. Yeah, I heard, that would be amazing. I heard Rich Eisen um, hypothesize today, perhaps that maybe the Bears were getting ready for a trade to grab Jimmy Garoppolo. And that's why they're trying to get rid of Cutler. So on the flip side, what if Garoppolo came to the NFC North? Well, it gives the Bears uh, some identity at that position to roll forward with. Uh, Jay Cutler's affordable, and it depends on whether the Bears mismanage a deal with New England. Now, the Patriots are a team that I wouldn't want to trade with because I would always feel like eventually that trade is going to result in me being fleeced. It's just like you don't play poker with certain guys because you, you just know it's going to end up badly. If I'm making a trade with Bill Belichick on the other line, I'm not confident I'm going to win the trade ever. Number two. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to show. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. 37 years ago today, Miracle on Ice says the USA defeated Russia. So I guess my question here is, um, besides that one right there, is there another game, maybe it was an upset victory, that gave you the most joy as a sports fan? Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to steal from you a little bit, Drew, in, in the Milwaukee hour of the program today. 
whatever second is really like fifth because there's yeah. a huge chasm between Miracle on Ice in 1980 and then the next best. It's an extraordinary gap in this country because everything else is fan base based. If that makes sense. If, uh, if you're the New England Patriots, shoot, what could beat Super Bowl 51? Except you'd have to be a Patriots fan exactly. to believe that. Yeah. You know, if, with the USA winning in 1980 in Olympic hockey in Lake Placid, this country, even the non hockey fans, rallied around that team in that time, in that moment. It was a, it was a national victory. It was like winning a war uh, to a certain extent. I mean, there was pride in it. There's no pride in the other upsets we can talk about. There are dramatic moments, but they're all fan base based. Yeah, this one that is a singular moment, and I again, I'll uh, it'd be the Ian's pizza bet of the rest of my life that I'll never see a moment that yeah, means as never. much as that one. And if you grew up in Milwaukee, youth hockey wasn't as big a concern, and it got a little, it definitely got a spark from that moment. And it, it you know, now it's you have high school teams. There were not high school hockey teams back. In those days, so I'll, I'll give you one other that could, and and I'm just saying could, if the USA men in World Cup soccer were to get all the way to a final and win a World Cup, that might that rival be, the moment. Although it wouldn't there. be as nationalistic as you know against your Cold War enemy in Russia. You don't know who they would be playing, but if the USA ever won. The World Cup for the men. I mean, the women have already been yeah. dominant. But if the men got to the point where they won a World Cup, that might be it up there. might rival it. Yep. Might. Number one. Number one in our big three at three. So how about all these rule proposals that Major League Baseball is looking at and Commissioner Rob Manfred, including the intentional walk in which that think that's going to be a thing, right? Yeah, um, that's done. That's done. All right. So good or bad, some of these rules changes ideas by baseball. Well, I, I think it's good to be progressive. I think it's good to be ahead of the curve and try to act before you have to react. I think baseball is reacting a little bit on this, but the progressive thoughts are less reactive, and it's trying to get ahead of the curve on it. I'll ask this bigger picture question. Is baseball broken? I mean, they're trying to fix the timing issue. What they really should be trying to fix is the activity issue of a baseball game, and if you have more consistent activity less time in between pitches, less time for pitching changes, maybe less time between innings, although that's hard to accomplish with the commercial inventory that's paid for. Um, baseball is kind of addressing issues. You know, They're addressing the, the cause and not necessarily the disease. The disease is there's not enough offense, yeah. not enough activity in the game. But then again, offense makes it a game longer. I just don't know that the game's broken. They're trying to protect its future. I don't think so either. And I think if you went on a the micro level, the time between pitches, if you could shave, if, if you just think about it, three seconds between a pitch doesn't sound like a lot, but over the course of 300 pitches in a game, there's your savings right there. There's the difference. And it's that's not a bad goal to just start with. Hey, Let's take three seconds off between pitches, whatever we have to do to accomplish that, and just make it a point of emphasis with the umpires and everything. That would save you a lot of time. Because you have, in a major league game, you're going to have an hour of commercial breaks. That, that's, that's built in. So, you know, fundamentally, the game itself is right now two hours and nine minutes. How can we shave it down? I just did John's math form. I promise you, John, I'm not in the minutes. same studio as John. He did it. Uh, just 15 minutes. Yeah. John had yeah. to take your three seconds per pitch for 300, 300 pitches, pitches. Yeah. multiply it out, and then divide it by 60, and he came up with 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Well, if we shave 15 minutes, we'd be heroes. So how can we save three <laughs> seconds a pitch? Yeah, That's easy. The pitch clock. Maybe. 
Maybe. Yeah, you might even get a greater savings, depending. Well, and John, you read the stat earlier. Uh, MILB.com tweeted it or put out the information earlier saying that uh, last year they shaved, what, uh, what was it, about 14? Yeah, this actually, minutes? this is from a year ago, yep. uh, this article. Yeah, so uh, in the International League saw a reduction from 256 to 240. 16 minutes. So we're talking about the same concept, uh, you know, of about three seconds a pitch. Yeah. And that I don't was, know if that's how that manifested itself. But. Yeah, 20-second pitch clock plus 30 seconds on any mound visits and um, a two-minute, 25-second inning break or pitching change. Timer. Yeah, and, and you can do that in minor league baseball a lot easier than you can do it in major league baseball because there's no commercial, the commercial inventory is the, far less important in the minor leagues as it is at the uh, major league baseball level. John, are there still callers waiting in on this? 877-729-1070. Uh, yeah, there is. But real quick, just a thought. When we're talking about baseball and trying to make it a little bit better and everything like that, why is it baseball always gets the short end of the stick? Like, you can use PEDs in the NFL. We don't care. Yeah. Baseball, we care. You can have a three-hour and 30-minute game in the NFL. We don't care. Baseball, what are you doing? This is dragging out. When really, in the NFL, you've got, like, what, 12 total minutes of, like, sure. action? And, and and here's the rub on that, that I, I'm right in lockstep with you. If you get, uh, if you measured most NBA, and I'm going to make up stats here, John, yeah, which, which you're going to love. Uh, in the NBA, probably you get to three minutes left on the game clock in about an hour and 50 but then that last three minutes of the game clock in an NBA game will take 15 minutes. Minimum. Minimum. Because everybody's going to yep. save their – they hoard all of their timeouts, and they will use all of them in the final three minutes in between every possession. A rebound results – and it's usually inside of two minutes – but a rebound will result in a timeout because I think the last media timeout – is the first stoppage under three minutes to play in an NBA game. So then the rest of it is bench timeouts. And they happen on every flipping yeah, possession. Everyone. So there's uh, that. Yeah. Greg and Madison called the Mike Keller Show. Hi, Greg. Hi. Uh, I heard you mention about for NC State. Uh, after watching the game last night, NC State quarter, uh, coach had been fired. It's one of the worst games I've ever seen. It, they had a 10-point lead in the final 46 seconds. And they almost blew it, and they even committed some fouls on them. You know, and so, you know, offensive well, the fouls. Well, NC State has already made a coaching change. Gottfried is out after this year. Okay, but here's here's I couldn't believe it. But the final forty six seconds, because of all that stuff happening, it took twenty two minutes to play. Forty six seconds, twenty two minutes. Those are the that issues, was- and we talk about baseball issues, and they have issues. But I'm telling you, the end of an NBA game, many times the end of a college game, and those are easy fixes, by the way. Because if, if an yeah. NBA team has whatever their timeout, uh, whatever they get, if you just said you, you get X number of timeouts, but you can only use two in the final two minutes or three in the final two, whatever that is. But even if you just limited to three per team in the final two minutes, you could have six timeouts. You know, or, or maybe you make them 20-second timeouts. But if, you yeah. know those yeah. those you have to allow television commercial inventory. They've got to be forty seconds because you've got to allow TV to get away for a thirty second break and come back. And come back, yeah. Dang, so it's there are messy things going on. But I agree with you, John. Baseball gets the brunt of the criticism that their games are too long, and we hardly ever talk about the final three minutes of an NBA game or a college basketball game. But it's all part of the process. 877-729-1070. Brian Posick will join us after the bottom of the hour, this hour of the program. And we're going to talk about some of these baseball issues, bigger picture issues, with Brian Anderson, the 
voice of the Milwaukee Brewers on Fox Sports Wisconsin. He'll join us today at 5.05. Phone lines are open for you. Give us a call, 877-729-1070, 877-729-1070. Back with more conversation next on The Mike Heller Show. Back with you on the Mike Heller Show, Wednesday edition. Brian Posick, the voice of Wisconsin hockey. It's a fun weekend for Wisconsin hockey. They are on the road at Minnesota, Big Ten leading Minnesota. And Badger Gopher series are always special. We'll also visit with Brian about uh, the 37th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, of which Mark Johnson was a big part of. A part of. And uh, and Bobby Souter, no longer with us, but Bobby Souter, another Badger, a big part of of that uh, that game, those series of games, 37 years ago. I think it's the most iconic moment in the history of the United States where sports is concerned. I, we've had this conversation throughout the years. If you could time travel and go back to any single-day sporting event in the history of our country, what would it be? And that wins it every time. I don't know what would be next. I think that that is just a stand- Bobby Thompson's... Walk off home run, but that's what nineteen fifty one. That'd be fifty one, yeah. Fifty one, you know, yeah. and you know, I, I know it's iconic, yeah. But but again, I think it would be fan based in this country. I don't know that there has ever been anything that even comes close to rivaling that moment in uh, Lake Placid, nineteen eighty. So I mean, even that's if you could there. time travel, what would you go to? You get, you get to go back and, and be in the arena. I wouldn't go to the ice bowl. It's too damn cold. Yeah, right? My, my, talk to my dad about that. We, <laughs> no thanks. I was just uh, reminiscing about that on-air interview a couple of years ago. My dad said he would he would do it again. But I, it, Cherry Star said no. Bart Star said no. It's the most iconic game, but they've yeah. never been that cold mm-hmm. in their lives. Yeah. Um, well, selfishly locally, how about the uh, 57 Braves Game 7? Braves win the World Series. Yeah. I mean, if if you but, yeah. were if you had that option, you know, maybe but it would any be in history. Maybe it would be Nicholas in in uh, in winning the Masters, his last Masters 86. in '86. Um, I you know, I mean, there there are going to be a bunch of them that come to the forefront. I know Dan Patrick talked about uh, UCLA and Houston playing in front of seventy thousand at the Astrodome to go back to that moment. There are NCAA championship games that you could go back to. Um, you know, people are going to say Super Bowl Fifty One. If you could go back that moment, you know, it's the first overtime Super Bowl, and and the way that comeback uh, happened and ended. The Malcolm Butler interception game. Malcolm Butler. I think some some it's would say game. they could they would go to the nineteen thirty six Summer Olympic Games in Berlin and watch Jesse Owens uh, win the golds. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you know. How again, about the nineteen eighty two Final Four? You go back and you just pull Michael aside and said, "Hey, Michael, I, I like the cut of your jib. What do you say we get into business together?" <laughs> <laughs> that would I'd be like good. To, I'd yeah. like to help you market your brand. Yeah, eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy is the phone number. You want to jump aboard? You can eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy. Yeah, if you feel uh, if you want to do that on Twitter too, go for it at uh, Mike Heller Show at Heller Sports at Drew Olson MKE at John Audius Radio. Jake from Anago called. Hey, Jake. Hi, Jake. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, I just wanted to weigh in and say I definitely agree with you. Um, if I could go back to one moment in time, it would be witnessing that uh, 
that game back in 1980, I actually was lucky enough to play on two different teams that I went out to Lake Placid two years in a row. My brother and I both did, and we got to play on the 1932 rink, the 1980 rink, and also the current uh, practice facility. So <laughs> that's I, awesome. That, yeah, I like just being out there and and getting to play on that ice with the small crowd that you know we had watching. I could not even imagine being those guys or being being in the rink at that moment. And the arena is small, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it is a it's, small college it's like five, arena. Yeah, it's like four or five thousand people only. It's uh, I think I, it's really not very big. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I yeah, I I just know like when you watch Miracle and you watch the movie and stuff, they do make it seem like there's a lot more people in there oh, than actually physically. Yeah, was. I mean, if it, it, the the attendance now is seventy thousand people were at that game, <laughs> you know, against the against the Soviets on Friday night, there'll be seventy thousand people that tell you they were at that game. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. But there were but there were like five it's or very six. Small. Yeah, it's, they, there's not even a second row of, of, of seating, really. I mean, there's a second row up, like a balcony you can walk around, but it's not like a true, like, coliseum right. of second seating or anything. Yeah, I, it, it is absolutely, there's nothing that rivals it. Appreciate the phone call. That's Jake in Anago. Phil Dawson tweeted in the event he'd go back to, WrestleMania three. What he happened now? Yeah. He and Vassalo. Anybody know what happened in WrestleMania three? I have no idea. Well, Phil does. Let me look it up. Yeah, I don't. Why? Because do you care? Yeah, I, I'm kind of interested. Oh, now you're interested. I'm sure Phil probably had something interested. to do with Hulk Hogan, if I had to guess. Um, it, Hulk, it could. Oh, it looks like Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. That's what the poster shows. They're right. like nose to nose. Oh, there you go. Is that when he body slammed Andre the Giant? Like you would know that. I know that's a thing that happened in wrestling once. Okay. Well, Phil would know. Uh, <laughs> the Silver Dome, 93,000 people in attendance. Bob Uecker is, is part of that. Was the, it really? Oh my goodness! Bob Buecher is part of the uh, the talent that provided some commentary. You know, if, you're, if you were going to time travel and go back, any of the uh, Ali Frazier fights would have been um, worthwhile. Oh yeah, Thrilla and Manila. Oh my goodness! And and the build up to a, a premier, you know, heavyweight championship fight in that era was unlike anything else we we ever get. It's true. I mean. It, that is, uh, and that is not. I mean, it's a divided country, but it's not a fan base. It's not. Hey, the Patriots fans are really into this. Falcons fans are really into this. Everybody else is a football fan. When Ali and Frazier fought, the country was split. Half the country. Well, I don't know what the split was, but nobody was neutral. No, no definitely not. So any of uh, those Ali Frazier, Ali and to Liston. a certain extent, Ali Liston, to a certain extent, Ali Foreman. Uh, yeah. The Thrilla, you know, I mean, the in Zaire when they fought in, in Manila in the Philippines, uh, there were there were incredible moments in boxing, you know. And you don't even have to go Ali; you could go further back. Um, you know, the Max Schmeling uh, wasn't it Sonny Liston and Schmeling, uh, I believe. I could be I think wrong, so, yeah. but I mean, before my time. But those events were standalone moments that are, you know, essentially unprecedented. They don't happen like that anymore. You know, Phil will talk about WrestleMania. But that that's not the same dealio, you know? So uh, so I, I think, it, again, I would be simple on my time travel deal. I would go back and see the Friday night game was between the U.S. and the Soviet Union in Lake Placid, which wasn't a gold medal game. They played for that uh, the following day, but that Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock Central Time, yeah. I think, 5 o'clock Eastern, that nobody carried on live television. That was the game. That's where that's I would go. That's the one. Yeah, that's 
my top five. Meanwhile, last night from the other end of the spectrum, I'm watching two coaches in the Big Ten of which neither one I care for very much, if at all. Fran McCaffrey and Tom Crean. I'm not a big fan of how either coaches. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of how Tom Crean recruits, but I don't think you can separate out recruiting from coaching in college athletics. The two are they kind of go hand in hand, and maybe we have been spoiled. And I say we in watching Wisconsin basketball from from the Dick Bennett era through Bo Ryan now to Greg Gard, and you watch how teams are coached up. Now, somebody tweeted back at me this morning. Uh, I won't even say somebody. Boston Mike was trolling me because I, I, I talked about Crean's teams always. I mean, that's just the common denominator. They they will find ways to lose games that they shouldn't lose. And coaching has always lacked. And he said, you know like, Wisconsin yeah. against Xavier. And then he went, like, the Packers and Mike McCarthy. Of course, he trolled me on both of those fronts. But, you know... You look at what Wisconsin has has been able to do under Bo and Greg Gard. Listen, you're going to get in close games. You're going to also find that you're going to lose some of those. And so he brought up the how they finished against Notre Dame. And I said, well, okay, well, what about Xavier the game before? And what about the year before against Kentucky and Arizona and North Carolina and the year before against yeah. Arizona? And, you know, come on. They, you can't, can't play it that way. Crean has consistently been this guy who will recruit the heck out of it, but doesn't coach him. I looked at Crean's classes. Since since 2013, the national rank, he has been in the top 30 in every class, 22nd twice, and number 4 in 2013. And yet that team just has not been good enough across the board. Yeah, I think I think that's unfair to, to, to point out like a badger collapse and say just like that, just because this is Crean's uh, best success, Sweet 16 and on, right? Ever going back to Marquette, right? Final four, sweet sixteen, sweet sixteen, sweet sixteen. Yeah. Those are sweet sixteen or later appearances in the tournament. That's it. Yeah. Four yeah. It hasn't hasn't been to the Elite Eight uh, final four. It's been a long time. Right? Yeah. For Crean. So I'm not a I, fan I, of Crean. I'm, I'm a fan I of how he recruits. To, it, this it reminds me in what makes me hesitate to jump into this is that uh remember the Aaron Rodgers comeback stats? That was everybody talked about. He couldn't bring a team back. How come he doesn't bring a team back? When, again, like- it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good coaches and good programs blow teams out. When you get to those... Hey, your record in one-run games. It's always crappy teams have good records in one-run games, which is meaningless because those are the games that they win. Right. And so when you're playing close games, to say, well, they never win the close games, I, I look at it, what is their record when they're favored? 
Yeah, and What's I just, the record when they're favored by five or more? Do they tank games and stuff like that? Rather than, all right, they lost this game that was close down the wire. He never wins close games. It's like, well, maybe you can be skewed, and you remember the bad ones. You don't remember the good ones a lot of times. So I, I'm looking for more data on on that. But I agree. It's like empirically, and when I look at it, you think, well, yeah, Tom Crean's teams, he, he doesn't coach his way to victories. He's not doing things that would make you think that he's coaching his way to victories. And then some of it, to be fair, some of it is stylistic. I'm not a big fan of frenetic coaches. So he mm-hmm. is running up and down oh, yeah. that sideline nonstop. Yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of that. Buzz Williams and, did it too at Marquette. Wasn't a big fan of that coaching style. So part of it is personal. You yeah. know, I, I don't like that demonstrative of a coach that is just flying up and down the sideline the whole time. And a lot of it is uh, confirmation bias. Jay Wright's a better coach because the kid hit a shot at the end of the game sure. last year yeah. than he would have been if yeah. the kid misses a shot and they lose in overtime. But he's still, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of the things, I look at coaches and it's hard to evaluate them sometimes because a lot of times they don't have the same players year to year. Like Kareem, not so much as the Calipari's of the world, but you know what I'm saying? And my big thing about basketball is that the player's IQ is lower and that's why they have to take these timeouts to tell you try to tell them what to do and manage the games at the end when a lot of times just let the players play and that might be better. So less coaching might be more in some cases. And so I'm... It's hard, and that's why when we talk to Greg Gard or the Badgers' assistants, we need to ask him some of that stuff. How much can you, you, as much as you try to manage what guys do, a lot of times you'll see in the NBA, you'll see they'll, they'll draw a play up on the sideline coming out of a timeout, and it goes to hell before they inbound the ball, and yeah. then, you know, oh, we won the game on a shot because the guy made a play. Right. Okay. Is uh, that great coaching? Yeah. Well, uh, and, but, and then there are other times where you can see immediate impact of coaching. And one of those is with Wisconsin hockey. Tony Granado, Donnie Granado, Marco Siki taking over this year. And you can see the impact of coaching, drilling, the non-negotiables. Uh, the We won't compromise on these elements when we're practicing. We're going to visit with Brian Posick. He's the voice of the Badgers. We'll talk about 37 years ago, the miracle on ice, a little bit on the Badgers, and then I, apparently there's some type of a, a of a announcing critique that's going to happen too. Brian Posick will join us coming up in just a few minutes. This is the Mike Heller Show. Tweeted in at Heller Sports into the Mike Heller Show. He said Tom Crean is 69 and 90 in Big Ten games since he arrived in Bloomington. Enough said. So we're talking about Tom Crean and failures, successes. We talk about in conjunction with last night's overtime loss in Iowa, and uh, and how he coaches. The record stands of its own volition. Uh, he inherited a pretty downtrodden program, though, didn't he? Yeah. He did. He, he, he won he, a couple of Big Ten titles too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, er, yes, early, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I no, mean, actually, t- two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look at, yeah. 15 and 3 in 2015, 2016. Yeah. But 69 and 90 yeah. in the Big Ten. Yeah, but again, like Drew said, it was it was down. It was down. You love Tom Crean, don't you, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say I'm a fan of his He's- style of play either, no. He's no. the voice of Badger Hockey, Brian Posick, joining us. Uh, wanted to bring you in a couple of reasons. One, yeah. uh, Wisconsin plays on the road at Minnesota. Badger Gopher series are always spectacular, and that goes on at Mariucci this weekend. And also, today is the, and we do this every year, uh, but it's the 37th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, of which Wisconsin has a big input with. 
uh, with Bobby Souter and with Mark Johnson. And, um, you know, how has your recollection of that game changed over the years? Because you weren't, um, you know, as hockey-specific. I don't even know how old you were in 1980 when that was played. Yeah, I was uh, 13 years old, and it was the first hockey game I ever saw in my life. Hmm. And uh, I was sitting in our, our family room on Coppersmith Square in Waukesha, watching it with my folks. And, you know, obviously it was prior to Twitter and all that stuff. And uh, even though some people already knew the outcome and local news outlets were actually uh, telling people who won the game during the second intermission, I had no idea and, uh, and just was enamored with just the, the theater of it, the United States against the Soviet Union. And, and I, I knew Mark Johnson and Bob Suter went to Wisconsin, so you were consistently looking for number 10 and number 20. Right. But, and I knew the head coach was, was Herb Brooks. But I didn't know anybody else on that club. And but then you you know as the years move on, you you remember the the Ruzionis and the Moros and the the Craigs and the McClanahans and the O'Callahans and sure. Harringtons and what have you. So um, at that point, again, it was the first game I had ever seen, and uh, now I've seen plenty. Brian, for those for those <laughs> who who haven't been around uh, Mark Johnson and Bobby Suter before he left us too soon, uh, neither one of them. W- desire to talk about it a ton now that you know mark will still answer the questions yes. but he is as unassuming and, and a, as reluctant a hero as you're going to ever come across yeah i think everybody on, on this squad was you know they 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 lived it and so it's it's rehashed every year every year i mean not just on the 35th anniversary it won't just happen on the 40th or the 25th it'll happen every year and we had a radio show last night uh, at the great dane hilldale and mark was there and somebody brought up to him hey it's the 37th anniversary of the miracle on ice he's like hmm 37 <laughs> you know and that's me, and that's just the way he was older. Yeah. and bobby was the same way before he passed you know if people if 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 you if they were asked about it they would talk about it but but usually they were pretty short answers so you had to have follow-up questions to ask them about the entire experience what her brooks was like what this was like and what have you so you, you didn't get a ton out of it but when it's a major anniversary like the 35th couple of years ago or in a few years the 40th you know they'll they'll talk more about it and they have reunions every year somebody ponies up money to get them all together or as best they can so um but you know again they they lived it so it's it's for for them they they've they've talked about it ad nauseum for 37 years we like round numbers in sports yes, though, in yes, our culture yes, we so do. yes we do the 40th will be bigger than mm-hmm. it came up this year and people see it now and on twitter your your social media feeds you yeah. see it yeah, and you know what? Uh, you know, I was thinking about this too, driving in, thinking I was going to see Mike here and give him his per diem money for the hockey trip to East Lansing, <laughs> which I've given to John. Don't and by the way, I gave it to say, John. Do not give it so to John. So he's got your per diem money, all right? And I Dang wrote the it. amount on there, so make sure that it's it's all there. Yeah, which John is going to change the envelope. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, but no you know, um, when James White was in town, not only was he at the basketball game on Sunday, but he dropped the ceremonial first puck on Saturday for the for the Wisconsin uh, Michigan hockey game, and and the fans are chanting MVP. He should have been the Super Bowl MVP. I think all of us would would agree with that. Well, well, the star of that that Olympic team, uh, the Miracle on Ice, was Mark Johnson. Yes. yes, Jim Craig was was outstanding in goal, no question. Mike Ruzioni scored the game winning goal, but but Mark had two goals in that game, including one late in the first period that uh, led to the Russian coach pulling the world class goaltender Tretiak after after one period, um, and then he had the game tying goal as well. And then in the gold medal game against Finland, he set up the game winning goal and had an insurance goal. To, to allow the United States to get the gold. So um, I, I thought, you know, uh, Mark, in my, as, as far as I'm concerned, was the star of the, the uh, 1980 Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, At least uh, in hockey. Eric, yeah. Hyden, Eric Hyden was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. You know, 
But so. the highlight of that Olympic Games, oh, yeah, um, yeah. as far as memories are concerned, yes. will be uh, will be Lake Placid and the U.S. Olympic Hockey Miracle on Ice. Right. Um, all right, so there's that conversation. There's Wisconsin on the road at Minnesota. Maybe you can give that some context because some of our listeners statewide and on iHeart aren't as big into Wisconsin and college hockey. But Wisconsin and Minnesota – that that is special. It, it, it's you know it, it's greater than Wisconsin, North Dakota. There's a great rivalry there, but doesn't right. exist anymore. But the Badgers and the Gophers, it's just different. There's something to it, and that goes on this weekend at Mariucci. Yeah. They don't like each other. I mean, it's it's plain and simple. It, it'll be the 241st and 42nd meeting, something like that. Um, you know, uh, Wisconsin uh, won the uh, the national championship in 06. The last one the Gophers won was was 03. Herb Brooks won a few. Was you know Bob Johnson won a few. Mar- uh, Jeff John- uh, Jeff Sauer did as well. But it's just it's it's a it's it's the ultimate in college hockey rivalries. Uh, BUBC. You know that that's always going to get it. Wisconsin North Dakota was uh, Minnesota North Dakota. Those are the the top rivalries in college hockey. Uh, to put it in perspective, Duke North Carolina, right? Indiana Purdue, right? right? Yep. Uh, Michigan Ohio State football. That if you put it in perspective, that's what this means. What what makes this even more meaningful is the fact that that Wisconsin's only one game, 3 points behind Minnesota for first place uh, in the Big 10 Conference. And you know, last year and the year before, I'm not sure how many people would have thought that this would be a possibility that with six games left in the regular season, Wisconsin would be vying for a conference championship and only its fourth regular season conference crown in their modern era. So, yes, it, it's always fun when the Badgers and Gophers go at it and you hope, you know, they drop the gloves or whatever the case may be and a lot of goals are scored and just have a grand old time. And um, But uh, this this is meaningful and that's what uh, that's what will make this very special this weekend. And by the way, both games are on in Milwaukee on the Big 920 this week. Weekend, Friday and Saturday night both start at 7 o'clock and here in Madison on WIBA. So, Brian, I want to know, going back to the uh, Miracle on Ice, what did you yeah. think of Al Michaels' call? He's not known as a hockey guy, yeah. but that's probably, you know, as much as many big events as he's been tied to, there's none bigger yeah. than that. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. No, there isn't. I mean, it was it was outstanding. Uh, you know, and and uh, and and I don't I don't know what else you could have said. What else could you have said? I mean, he yeah. put it as best as you could possibly put it. He was with Ken Dryden on the call, the Stanley Cup champion Hall of Fame goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens, too. And in that game, you, you may recall, if you look at the video clip of that, at the very end when, when uh, the U.S. is trying to play keep away from, from the Soviets and keeping them away from Jim Craig, who had to make a couple of big saves in the final uh, minute or two, uh, really the game ended when Mark Johnson hustled to the puck on the left-wing wall and chipped it out to center, and you see him hopping into the air because he knew at that point with three seconds left it was over. 
You know, he he has, his shift, Mark's shift was I think a minute fifteen. He was out there going all over the place behind the net. Here that the uh, you know right wing boards, left wing boards. He was everywhere. Uh, but no, I don't I don't I don't I don't know how else you can call that. That was that was just classic. Classic. Well, speaking of how you call games, now I, I've stepped in for you four times this year, and and I'll we'll add this in. Brian's undefeated when the Badgers uh, game has moved over to television, and Posick has uh, flipped over onto the television side. Right? You haven't lost. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Yes. And uh, thus, when I've stepped into the radio chair, I am also undefeated. Yep. And and I showed Tony on Saturday night when I did the pregame interview, I have worn the same pair of socks for all four of those games, which <laughs> nice. is true. Okay. Which is true, and he appreciated uh, that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, okay. Which has nothing to do with the call itself. No, it really doesn't. But You've been doing this for like 37 years. You've been calling Wisconsin <laughs> hockey, right? Uh, 15 years. Yeah. Okay, it seems yeah. like 37. It does. It does. Uh, you, you know, especially very... the last two years, it seemed like 37. Yeah, right. You're you're very good at it, uh, and I'm not just saying that. You you've you've taken on that game and calling that game, and you have made it yours, and you are outstanding at it. I'm a neophyte when it comes to hockey. Uh, now I can I, I've done it, but uh, John and I both thought it would be a good idea for you. Yeah. Who you know you're a pro, uh, okay. and I'm an amateur. All right. If you could critique a couple of Saturday night's calls right. um, from the the radio guy, the fill in radio guy. Okay. Brian, you have the or John, you have those. Yeah, here we go. This is from uh, Saturday. Here we go. Right. Right. That is deflected and a good defensive play by Luke Cunning, who went down. Now Frederick, shorthanded, in alone. Rister scores. Wow, that's very impressive, Mike. Wow, that's impressive. So, do do I have to grade this like uh, well, one th- through ten? What what do you want me, me to to say? Terminology you know, used, everything. Yeah, no, it was it was very good. Yeah, breakaway, wrister, scores, outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I Boom. should probably step out of studio while you're doing this, so you you don't feel like you're offending <laughs> anybody. Um, oh no, I don't mind offending people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially you, Mike. <laughs> right, exactly, especially you, Mike. No, that was very well done. Very well done. Although Luke Cunning told me a couple of weeks ago, guys don't shoot wristers anymore. Oh. They're snapshots. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh-oh. So, if, yeah, yeah but, but on radio, you, if, yeah. You, if you have a snapshot and a slap shot, the guy on radio might not be able, listening, might not be able to d- decipher the difference. That's why, uh, that's why you think I'm so good, because nobody can tell if I'm telling the truth or not. <laughs> I'm just making stuff up. I, I have I no about, idea who's got the puck at any time. You know I how hard about, it is to call hockey? Yeah, well, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, and nobody should fact check who's got the puck on their stick when right. I'm doing a game either. But I thought about twisted wrister. Twisted wrister's good, yeah, sure. That's sure. good. But That's, in the yeah. in the quick call, I just didn't have. John, do you have others? Yeah, here's another one, one if you yeah. want to hear from yeah. uh, from last weekend. And going down is Danks. Badgers get it back with Wagner. Wagner, Rister in rebound scores. Oh, nice. I like that where you're kind of rolling your throat a little bit. You know, you get down yeah. and deep. That's great, Mike. Yeah. Oh, well done. Uh-huh. All right, so that's that's two for two. I've gotten passing grades yeah. on both. I mean, this oh, is yeah. a, this should be a pass fail kind of deal. Yeah, I think you've passed on those two. Do you have any more, John? Anything? I got some from a uh, previous week. Ooh. Okay, oh yeah, Let's this, this is a Michigan State mm. one. Okay, oh, all right. Held in by Wisconsin in the near corner by Johnson. Johnson back to McGuire. Back to Johnson. Johnson in shot scores. Johnson sent in a wrister and a low one. I believe it was deflected and it went in over the glove side of Minnie and the Badgers now lead it three to nothing. 4.55 to play in the first. Apparently all they do is shoot wristers when you're yeah, on the air. You know, when you're limited in terminology, <laughs> uh, even a slap shot is likely a wrister. Yeah, yeah. 
It sounded like Johnson was the only guy on the ice there, too. <laughs> he might have been. <laughs> you can't fact check me I did on hear McGuire, but I heard Johnson a lot there. Yeah, the biggest yeah. issue that weekend was me mispronouncing Paul Capabianco, my yeah. broadcast partner. Uh, right. He had different names seven times that weekend. <laughs> so... Anyway, what they, uh, I've done that before. Polly Walnuts. Well, I love uh, doing it, and, and good, uh, good. nobody well, does right. it like you do, and, and I appreciate the opportunity. And this Thanks. weekend will be fun up at Mariucci. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And, uh, you know, I was listening to you guys coming in, and you're thinking about what what else compares to the Miracle on Ice. And for me, personally, I would have loved to have gone to Game 6 of the 1975 World Series, even though my oh, Reds no lost that day yeah. uh, when Carlton Fisk homered after Bernie Carbo hit the three-run shot. Yeah. So that and, would have been the one I'd be at. Some people forget Bernie Carbo then uh, ended up in Milwaukee after that yeah, time. Yeah, he played for the Reds prior to that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, thanks, Brian. Appreciate yep. it. We take a break. We'll come back with more coming up next. This is the Mike Heller Show. Oh, in 10 seconds. See, I lost track of the time until John said 10, and now he'll give me a 5. And we'll be back in moments. This is the Mike Heller Show. <laughs> They're the in crowd. We're the other ones. It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from. We let our color show where the numbers ain't. With a paint where there ain't supposed to be paint. That's who we are. This is the Mike Keller Show. That's how we roll. Call the show at 877-729-1070. Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. I will get couple hours in, two more yet to go on this Wednesday edition of the Mike Heller Show. Welcome aboard, and we welcome in our newest audience listening on The Score in Appleton, my favorite hometown. Well, it's, I mean, it's my hometown, so it's one of my favorites of any Still towns. your favorite hometown. Yeah, can always be my favorite hometown. Uh, so welcome aboard. I'm Mike Heller. That's Drew Olson. Drew Olson joins me. Well, actually, I join him in our Milwaukee studios today. And it's good to have you here. Thanks for bringing this sunny, warm weather. Yeah. This is it, though. The last day. I'm not bringing it anymore uh, until April. And I'm still contemplating taking your bet. Warmer, opening day at Miller Park, April 3rd or yesterday or today. And you're saying, everybody's telling me that's a sucker bet. It's no way. Not a chance. It's going to be warmer in April. Although, eh. What are the chances there is an open roof game at Miller Park in April? We haven't had one, boy. Hardcore had this note, but it's been like the earliest is mid to late May. Yeah. Very conservative on that, which uh, I think sometimes they get criticized. Uh, I I don't know what all goes into it, but uh, we'll delve into that because Hardcore is a regular guest on the show now. He'll join us Tuesdays and Thursdays. He's our baseball insider. That's true. Uh, Which today's not Tuesday or Thursday, so we'll talk to him tomorrow. John Audius is in every day because he's a workaholic. Hi, John. Hey, fellas. What's up? You work hard, don't you? Sometimes, uh, sometimes. Today's I've been I've been working very hard today. I booked a guy named Brian Posick on the show today. Talk he talk works after there. an extensive yeah. search of the hallway. <laughs> you booked. <laughs> hey, Posick's Brian walking down the hallway. Hey, Brian, can you come in here? Yeah, no problem, John. All right, thanks. Yeah, wow. the lengths that you'll go to to oh, book a guest yeah. is just incredible. <laughs> it's inspiring. You, you inspire us. Tomorrow, I'm working on Phil Dawson of Lucas. Oh, wait a second, John, the show booker, trying to get him on the show. Uh, so we got uh, Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com. He'll join us about quarter past the hour, so about some 17 minutes or so from now. Badger football getting some 
early verbal uh, commitments earlier this week. So we'll chat with him on that, uh, get his thoughts on Badger basketball. On the road, two games this week at Ohio State and then at Michigan State, taking on uh, Tom Izzo's Spartans on Sunday. So a couple of games coming up. We visit with Ben Wargle on that. John, if you don't mind, let's uh, go ahead and do what we do here. This is the Big Four at Four. The top four trending sports stories this hour. Number four. Number four in our big floor at four. Mike, you are upset about Tom Crean. You just think he gets... Oh, upset is... Okay, go okay, ahead. Okay, you're, you're something with Tom Crean. He's just not my favorite coach. Right. And, and I think that sometimes there's too much attention slash coverage directed his way. And I'm just... I've not been impressed with Tom Crean, the basketball coach. I'm impressed with Tom Crean, the person. I met him uh, at a Badger game football game at Indiana a bunch of years ago and uh, he he came up to visit with uh, some of the broadcasters and, and Barry Alvarez and the like in the hotel uh, the night before a game and he was great I mean he personally that's my only one-on-one interaction with him and all I've ever heard about Crean is that he's a really good guy and I don't doubt that he's just from a stylistic standpoint he's not my favorite kind of coach you know and, and Indiana is not lived up to some of the expectations. 2013, they had the fourth-best recruiting class in the country. That's through 24-7 sports, which is a compilation of all the other recruiting services. He's been in the top 30 each of the last four years, and yet I don't know that his teams have, have lived fully up to expectations. That being said, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the last five years of recruiting cycles, beginning in 2016 and going backwards, did you know that Kentucky is number two, number one, number two, number one, and number one in recruiting in that five-year window? Wow. Duke is first, second, first, ninth, and 36th. Meanwhile, Wisconsin, who in that time frame has been to two Final Fours um, and a couple of Sweet 16s, Wisconsin was unranked. 46th in the country, unranked, 39th in the country, and unranked in recruiting services. So do with that what you will. Number three. Number three in our big four at floor. So we've heard the reports that the Bears are trying to shop Jay Cutler. Would you want Cutler on your team? And more specifically, if you're the likes of perhaps the, the Texans or the Broncos, maybe the Chiefs or somebody else, if you couldn't land Tony Romo, would you be okay landing Jay Cutler? It's, if it's an either or, Romo or Cutler, I'll still take C, option C. What's behind door number three? Who is it? Who is it? Let's go to the draft and see if we can get somebody. No, there's only one place I want to see Cutler play, and that's New York. I want him to play for the Jets because the Jets are a dumpster fire, and I want him to be there and so that every move he makes is scrutinized and he's on the back page every week pouting and being Jay Cutler. And then I can't get enough of the smoking Jay Cutler meme. I like that as much as I like the crying Jordan. It's just just when you think it gets old, somebody will use it creatively, and it's it'll be funny again. So I want to see him in New York. Let him play on the grand stage. I don't want to see him play any of those other places. So let me ask you a question. If you just had to pick uh, this quarterback, would you, for the 
Denver Broncos? Would you want Trevor Simeon under center or Jay Cutler? Uh, if I'm the Denver Broncos? Yeah. Um, For 2017 and 2018, the next two Trevor years. Trevor Simeon. Really? Yeah. What about Brock Osweiler or Jay Cutler? Then I'd probably take Cutler. I have no no, no faith in Brock Osweiler. Yeah. But then, I mean, that's, that's part of the... I'd find the, out if my equipment guy could throw before I hire a yeah, It's part of the wheel that's turning here is that Romo is going to move. Where does Romo move? And when that domino falls, or maybe Cutler's domino falls first. You know, the Bears are shopping him. I'd be surprised, but I guess he could. And guys, what about this? What if the Bears are shopping Jay Cutler to try to make a deal with New England and land Jimmy Garoppolo in the NFC North. Huh? Now what? Well, they'd certainly get prettier. Uh, Garoppolo's a one handsome man playing quarterback. Good-looking guy. A good-looking guy. So there's what, that. Jay's not? Uh, uh, it doesn't. No, Jimmy Garoppolo by far is better looking than Jay Cutler. We might have to get some ladies involved in this. Hot get some side-by-side side pictures, and, and we might have to get the ladies involved. Hmm. Wednesday on the Mike Keller Show, Jimmy Garoppolo or Garoppolo or Jay Cutler? Who's more dreamy? <laughs> well, um, you know, th- there's the pouty face for Cutler that uh, that some will find redeeming. Yeah, I think I think some women will look at that and say, "Oh, that's that's not just pouty; that's sexy." I don't know. What do I know about that? <clears throat> Whoa! I don't know. Snapper the two. This is a toss-up, I think. John, that's usually where you take over. When we talk about topics that are a little uncomfortable like that, you, you usually jump to the forefront. What? Do you want me to start? <laughs> yeah. Feels so good. Jimmy Garoppolo in Chicago. Lying here next to me. <laughs> Under center. I don't know what's going on here. Um, all right, number two in our big four at four. Good work by you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's the anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, the 37th anniversary. So is there another upset that, uh, as a sports fan, gave you a, a ton of joy like obviously that one did? Because uh, that's obvious. If you were around for that, that's number one. Valvano's so, uh, North Carolina State. Oh, good one. It's a huge 83. upset. Raleigh yeah. Massimino uh, at Villanova upsetting Georgetown. Those upsets in the college basketball lore are, you know, near the top as far as a national championship is concerned. Uh, because Villanova had to play almost a perfect game. They had Georgetown's number. All those games were tight and low scoring. Um, I, you know, I, I'm trying to think what else would qualify. I think there are going to be some people that were not an upset, but some people will look at Super Bowl Fifty One and say one of the great, you know, championship games great of all finish. time because it was twenty eight yeah. to three. Yeah, definitely a great finish. Remember, John tweeted out ball game when it got to 28-3. Stop yeah. it, Heller. <laughs> you say that enough, people are going to believe it. I hope so. Did the uh, Remember the Bucks one year sweeping the Celtics as kind of an underdog during their run of greatness? The Bucks were always pretty good, though. So I guess I can't, yeah, I, I'm can't trying, mix that one There in. aren't that many. You know, Butler almost had one, right? Butler in the national championship game. Um, if if they would have... The half-court shot? Yeah, if Hayward's... It, was it Hayward? Uh, I think so. Half-court shot that almost goes in. Would have been the greatest finish in American, you know, in American sports history. Not national, like, against another country. But yeah. in American sports, uh, that would have been the greatest finish of all time. Uh, Brian Posick tweeted in Miracle Mets. Now, the Mets are out of it, 69. Miracle Mets, they're done. The Cubs are in. 
and it just switches around. There's a black cat on the field. Those Miracle Mets got all yeah. the way there. Not, you know, the I, I don't know. If, I, if you could time travel back to go to an individual event, I would think that uh, Jesse Owens in the 36 Berlin Olympics would have been one that you would go back to. Uh, Ali Frazier fights, any of them. You, you you know going back to those arenas on those nights because the buildup was so ridiculous, it it can it would rival anything that we've had in, in the last yeah. thirty years. Uh, somebody called said Wisconsin beating Kentucky in the Final Four. That was a pretty big upset. Had a was good it seat for were, that was, one? Were, yeah. They weren't favored, were they? For some no. reason, I, I don't no. know. For some no, reason, I, mean, I thought it was undefeated. Yeah, they were right. I know they were undefeated, but don't you remember? Like I thought it, either it was closer than we thought. I'm going to have to Google that now. You're crazy. What's wrong with you? Yeah, you there's right? no way. Have you been drinking Nonsense. in studio again? It, this is the what company, what management worries about, Drew. You and I are in the Milwaukee studio today. John's alone in the Madison studio. And their fear always is, is he going to be chaperoned? Because if not, he could be drinking in studio. And okay, yeah, they pizza. were uh, They were five-point favorites, Kentucky was. Five-point. Oh, yeah, which is almost that. like being underdogs, right? Right. I mean, because they were undefeated. <laughs> I knew they were. I just remember, for some reason, I, I remember thinking, maybe it was our prediction machine guy who had a who we had on. Like, it wasn't as bad as everyone thought. Like, you know, when you talk about great upsets, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, that was the, you know, the team that snuck into the tournament and they were a 500 team and they beat undefeated Kentucky. You know, it wasn't like a monumental upset. Go ahead, if that makes you feel better by by reconciling it that way. Go ahead. What if they were a number one seed? <laughs> what are you talking about? Number one. A good team. Uh, so you think the Badgers weren't a good team back then. All right, Mike, I see how it is. Oh, I see uh, what you did. Now you're flipping the deal here. Yeah, Mike didn't think the Badgers were good that year. Posick just texted me and said he brought it, the alcohol into the studio for you to drink That's today. So to he's culpable. It. I don't remember what it was. I thought it was, there was something about that game. Um, all right, uh, number one in our big four at four. So there's been some Major League Baseball rule proposals, some changes coming to Major League Baseball as well, like the intentional walk, just point to first, go get it. Um, are these good or bad for the game? Uh, I don't mind either one. I mean, one is the replay challenges. Uh, the replay cannot last longer than two minutes. Is that the one that goes into effect this year? Um, so the umpires have to make a decision, uh, or New York has to make a decision within two minutes of, of the. And and I think there is also what a thirty second. There there were a couple of changes on video replay, which we'll see yeah. them play themselves out. The other part is. Uh, the intentional walk being an automatic point, to, you know, signal from the manager says we're intentionally walking. There will be no four pitches. The the hitter gets to go to first base. Fundamentally, I have no issue with it. Although I don't think it's a great time saver, it does get away. It gets it. It essentially is like getting rid of the extra point in the NFL. A foregone conclusion, with rare exceptions. But instead of spending the time on the play, they're just going to say go to first base. I don't have an issue with that. I think there are bigger fish to fry where Major League Baseball is concerned, but you have to have cooperation from the Players Association and management, and that's kind of what Rob Manfred, he called that's, out the Players Association and said they're not cooperating. That's the biggest part of this story is that Manfred's ready to flex. He's in his third year, wants to affect some change, meeting resistance from the players on something that he thinks they should be agreeing to because when that TV deal's up in four or five years, they want to be ready to rock and roll and get a good deal. And they need to take care of the game now and polish things up. And 
the the fact that he's finding resistance is interesting to me. You're right. The four pitches, that's no big deal. But they, they can find efficiencies elsewhere, either in pitching changes or just even on time between pitches to me is the biggest thing. Some traditionalists are going to say, you know, there have been occasions when uh, in the intentional walk, the pitcher throws the ball to the backstop. It happened in a college game last night. Or they'll say there have been also times when the hitter has reached out and uh, taken advantage of a pitch that wasn't wide enough. Again, rare, rare, rare exceptions to what is normally the rule of four bad pitches uh, intentionally to have the runner go to first base. So why waste the time on doing it? Right. I mean, but when you talk about the time saved, it's it's kind of like, negligible. Right. So why? So then why get rid of it? If, well, if, the, if those rare things happen and they do, they just happened last night, like you mentioned in college baseball, where it can affect the game. So if it's if it's such a insignificant time saver, then why even approach that? Well, because it's a it's a formality that you can just get rid of. It's just a, it's an insignificant rule change, but it's still a waste of time. So if, if that is the, the conclusion, hey, we're intentionally walking this hitter, well, then just let him go. Right. I agree. That's, John, it, that's it coincides why, with right. your no, – John I, has always had the issue that he wants home runs to uh, be the option of the hitter as to whether he runs the bases. Right. I was going to say I agree because I think the home run trot, if you don't want to run around the bases, you shouldn't have to. Let's just move on. Let's keep going. <laughs> John would have radical changes yeah. to Major League Baseball. What's John so would radical have, about that? John would have three balls, two strikes. John would have seven, seven inning innings. games. Uh, there would be no downtime in between half innings. Uh, that would be an issue for commercials. Um, if it's over the fence, you know, just round yeah. first and head back to the dugout and go celebrate. John would go back was... to the early times when you left your glove at your position. And, you know, yeah. when you ran and leave the glove out. <laughs> what was the last major rules change that baseball made in-game to the product in-game? Uh, would it have been the designated hitter? Yeah, about 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Since so, they've tinkered. I don't think it's so... And maybe it's video due. replay would maybe qualify to that, but it's not a rule change. It's, yeah, that's it's more just a, a review. an addition. But yeah, so and we're still arguing about the DH 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, baseball has other issues that are unrelated. We're talking about time where Major League Baseball is concerned, we should be talking about activity. And and the two can go hand in hand. You know, yeah. a, a disallowing batters, uh, uh, you know, not allowing them to step out of the box in between yeah. every pitch and go through Mike Hargrove's human rain delay concept. That's what was funny about the whole, hey, uh, we're going to get to extra innings and put a guy at second base. Like, that was kind of silly because it's not extra innings to me that are the problem. Those aren't the issues. It's the four-hour nine-inning game when yeah. you see 12 pitching changes and it's turdtastic, and that's when... <laughs> <laughs> the guys yeah. in the press box are you know want to run screaming. Yeah. That's when that's what you got to alleviate. We're going to visit with Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com. He's our Badgers insider. They've had some football recruiting news this week. Badger basketball is on the road for back to backs at Ohio State and Michigan State this weekend. Benjamin Wargleman joins us when we come back on the Mike Heller Show. Paperback rides. going to happen with the program, but I'm sure that all of those who regularly cover the University of Wisconsin 
uh, feel fortunate from time to time when you see other storylines that have developed, like Baylor has had, and now Ole Miss. Ole Miss self-imposing a one-year postseason ban for 2017 in wake of NCAA's probe involving issues with the Ole Miss football program. And that is one of the storylines today. That is the one involving Laramie Tunsil. So, and then you wonder, did the Tunsil stuff all come out because of his uh, post-draft selection interview? We welcome in Ben Wargle, BadgerNation.com, joining us on the Mike Heller Show. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Mike. What's going on with you? Nothing. I just took off my my uh, gas mask. I'm ready to talk to you. <laughs> you and Tunsil. I know. I know what you got going on. Hey, uh, let, let's uh, let's visit a little bit on Badger football. They had uh, two verbals, a couple of verbals earlier this week as the 2018 classes start to uh, to begin to come together. The uh, what's your view of that? Is it a big deal? Well, just uh, give us a little synopsis. Well, they actually had three verbal commits, Mike, and I, I think what always excites fans with the in-state verbal commits is just that they're in-state kids. They're kids that a lot of people can go see in your listening uh, area, you know, and then they come from power programs. You look at Mason Platter from Menominee. This would be the third straight year that uh, Wisconsin has landed a kid from that high school. Mason Stokey two years ago, Alex Fenton last year. Um, they were a state semifinalist team last year. Menominee was Boyd Deason, the cousin of John Deason at Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly's won 56 straight games, four straight uh, WIA titles, three in Division One. And C.J. Getz, who I watched play for Kevin Memorial last year and was just incredible uh, with the way that he played. Eight tackles against Green Bay, Notre Dame, a couple sacks, a uh, really good downhill player. And Wisconsin's had a terrific run of linebackers over the last several years with the commitment they've been able to bring in. And to get two really good in-state players and a good defensive end, uh, I think speaks volumes to this program that Paul Chris, when he came in, said that we're going to recruit in-state first and go out from there. And to have six kids already committed to your class, four from in-state, really validates what Paul Chris, what Paul Chris said when he first was hired. Can you read a lot into position, Ben? Because it seems like, you know, a lot of times guys will change positions once they get to campus. Yeah, I think that, that CJ Getz is good enough to play both outside and inside linebacker. So I think it will see how he'll develop. Talking to Boyd Dietzen. You know, I think the plan for him is to come in as a defensive end, but he can easily grow into a, you know, a nose tackle. Um, you know, Mason Platter is a little bit of an unknown. He didn't camp at Wisconsin last year and was really offered based on what he did his junior year. And he could do a number of different things. He could, you know, potentially bulk up and play play defensive end. You know, I, you know, he's good enough in my opinion. He could possibly play tight end. I think it all depends on how these kids how they grow over the next year, year and a half. And you know, that's the one thing we've seen from in-state players over the years. They're really good athletes in a number of different areas. That they're not pigeonholed into just playing one spot. So I think that these three, they might not really move the needle nationally. They might not excite a lot of people that don't really follow Wisconsin recruiting. But having seen these guys play, these are all really solid football players that will be really good contributors for Wisconsin, in my opinion. Let's uh, shift and talk a little Badger basketball. Back-to-back road games after an important home win against Maryland on Sunday. Now back-to-back road games at Ohio State in Columbus and then at Michigan State against the Spartans. I think it was critical that Wisconsin was able to get 
their shooting going in the second half. I think that is good for their confidence. It's good for their psyche going in these two road games um, against two teams that are a little a little bit wounded. Ohio State has not played well since we last saw them in Madison. They're five and six in their last eleven. They've turned the ball over a ton. You look at their team, you would think they'd be way more talented than than what the record indicates. They just lost to Nebraska by one uh, in their last game out over the weekend. So uh, this will be an important game for Wisconsin to shoot the ball well. That's what they did uh, here earlier this year. They put up 89 points, had 17 field goals in the second half. That's the most uh, they had uh, from the Maryland game to the Ohio State game. So both games they shot really well against those two teams in the second half. You look at, at Michigan State, you know, you just lose a, a key part of your, your squad in Harris. This is a team that's playing for the NCAA tournament uh, to get a good seed. Uh, I, I think right now they're safely in, but you know, certainly if you beat a Wisconsin, uh, that that would be a really good notch on your belt come tournament time. You can just ask Northwestern and Michigan, but Wisconsin's probably their marquee win right now. So uh, they're a half game behind uh, Purdue that survived in State College in overtime yesterday. So this will be an important stretch for Wisconsin. I think the fact that they played well on Sunday by getting the ball in the low post attacking will really help kind of reemphasize this is what we need to do to play well to beat these kind of teams. Four games left in the regular season. What would Wisconsin need to do to secure a Milwaukee spot in the NCAA tournament? Well, I don't think they're there right now. Uh, I think that you really need to see this team rack up some good wins. And unfortunately, with the Big Ten the way it is, the good wins right now are a little few and far between. You know, Minnesota, sweeping Minnesota, I think would be big for them. Minnesota's got a good RPI. And certainly when you go out to D.C., you can't be a one and done in the Big Ten tournament like they were a year ago. And you have to, I guess, hope to play a Maryland, play a Purdue, uh, you know, play maybe a Minnesota or a Northwestern. Those teams right now, other than Wisconsin, have the best RPI in the Big Ten, the best record in the Big Ten. And so Wisconsin will have to win maybe one, heck, maybe two of those to really impress the committee enough to earn them a spot in among the top 16 seeds, which will you would think guarantee them to open up in Milwaukee. But right now, I don't think they're quite there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle these last four games. They probably can afford to lose one and still get there. But so you can't lose against Iowa. That'd be the one game that really would would be an ugly loss on their resume, which is devoid of good wins, but also a devoid of, of bad losses. Excuse me, it doesn't have a lot of good wins on it. Ben, we came out of Sunday talking about Brevin Pritzel. We talked to Jeff Patrikas about him the other day. It's like he, he played a big role and made some big plays against Maryland. Then what's his role going forward? Because he didn't play against Michigan, barely played against Northwestern. Like where is he in on the? Uh, and, and the rotations and stuff. Is his is his playing time impacted by Koenig's health? What's it? What, what's the deal? Well, I think Brevin earned himself some more opportunities uh, going forward. By the way, he played against Maryland. You know, Pritzel not playing on Thursday, I think, was uh, you know maybe a sore spot with a lot of the fan base. They wanted to see this kid who had you know had started to prove himself. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A little bit. 
in some road games, you know, particularly the game against Nebraska where he played a ton of minutes, and especially in overtime, to be on the court more. And the fact that Wisconsin was not playing well and we're having some struggles that that great guard went with Jordan Hill over Pritzel, I think, bothers a lot of people. But Pritzel played on Sunday because it was a good matchup for him. Hoyter was a good matchup for him. Those two are kind of clones of one another. Um, and Pritzel, I think, responds to it. And the thing with Brevin is he is a really good three-point shooter. But we haven't seen that yet. He's been doing things and making impacts in other areas. Uh, you know, the five offensive rebounds were huge. Wisconsin scored six points off those, four that Pritzel scored himself. So with the health of Koenig, he's still not 100%, but certainly the rotation that guard used on Sunday I thought was was really good um, to get Showalter uh, in there, to rotate Demetrius Trice in and out, uh, and certainly Pritzel had earned some opportunities with the way that his toughness was. He brought energy at the end of the first half, which I thought carried over into the second half. So uh, I think Pritzel has earned himself some more opportunities. I'll be interested to see how he handles it in, in two tough environments here this week. Very good. Uh, ben, we always appreciate it, and I uh, hope you're not never offended when I refer to you as Benjamin Wargleman. Never, Michael Eugene Heller. Never, right. never, never. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, ben Wargel, BadgerNation.com. Our insider joins us Wednesdays on the program. John dabbed. Uh, John uh, dabbed? Well, you might have dabbed. dabbed. I don't know. John You've been dabbed. dabbing in studio today? Um, you dubbed my middle name to be Eugene, which it n- never has been. But somehow that stuck. So there, there are people who will refer to me as Michael Eugene. <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, and it's not. I so. honestly don't remember why that even happened, but you're right. I, I think I had made up your middle name at some point. Because John is um, John's ancestry, his father's Colombian. John's Colombian. but And, and thus the, the wrong spelling of his last name from a pronunciation standpoint. So, they, I mean, they spell your name wrong. Yeah. But... Um, I, I think I wanted to attach to you a Colombian middle name uh, because you don't have one. And then you call me Pablo. Yeah, John Pablo. John Pablo. John Pablo. Which and that's not which accurate. Ac- which actually is my middle name. And then so then I called you Eugene, which isn't my middle name. Right. And your middle name's not Pablo. Either. It is. It Prove actually it. is Pablo. Prove it. I'll take a picture of my driver's license and put, <laughs> put it, it out up. on Twitter. Yeah. Tweet it out. I'll Please. get you my social security card. Excellent. I'll put it out on Twitter. And all that I need is your passcode, that four-digit code, okay. and we'll be all set to go. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, Brian Anderson is going to join us just after 5 o'clock. We're going to talk some bigger-picture baseball stuff. And, and, and that is one of the conversations of the day, is when we're talking about baseball and the changes they need to make. I know everybody's talking about the four-pitch intentional walk that's now been eliminated. You can just point to first base. But come on, really. There are bigger issues issues that baseball is working through, yet I would argue that the game's not broken. There are some people that believe the game is broken. It is not. We'll uh, have more conversation of that ilk, and Brian Anderson will join us just after 5 o'clock. This is The Mike Heller Show. Among other things that we've talked about today, as uh, it is the 37th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice in Lake Placid 1980 U.S. Olympic win over the Soviet Union, which got them to the gold medal game, which they won, even though they trailed going into the third period. And it got me thinking about this, because we we talk about this every year, but it it got us onto this conversation of if you could time travel uh, and could go back to any single-day sporting event in, in history, 
which one would you want to be in attendance at? So I'm going to shift it up just a little bit here again. If it was an in-state game involving a one of your franchises here from Wisconsin, whether it's college or pro, and you could go back and time travel, which one would you go to? Now, some might argue, well, the, the two Super Bowls to open, those games weren't considered to be massive like they are now when Starr and the Packers won those first two Super Bowls. And would you really choose to go back to the Ice Bowl, knowing that you would have to be outside in minus 48-degree wind chills and minus 13 air temperature for the three hours? Would you go back to the 77 Marquette National Championship game with Al McGuire? What, I mean, which would you go back to? Would you go back to the first Badger football Rose Bowl win uh, in Pasadena against UCLA? Would you go to the Wisconsin-Kentucky game, the second version at the Final Four, just you know a couple of years ago, in which they knock off the previously undefeated Kentucky Wildcats? Which of those, which in-state, involving a state team, which sporting event, if you could time travel, would you go back to? 1957 Milwaukee County Stadium. Yeah. Henry Aaron hits a home run to win the pennant. Yeah. So how do you top that? Yeah. Right. And and it doesn't count. But would you go back to number 715 and Atlanta Fulton County Stadium? Henry Aaron is ours, even though he was an Atlanta Brave at the time. That would have been cool to be at. I would yeah. have stood next to Craig Sager so that I could get on TV and be <laughs> in pictures forever for eternity. No, but seeing that, that's I mean a walk off home run to win the pennant in your town. Would it be pretty uh, good? Yeah, would it be Favre and Reggie White in that Super Bowl win in New Orleans, Louisiana, over the New England Patriots? I just wonder because I, if somebody's going to say they go back to the Ice Bowl, uh, I'm going to remind you that you've got to sit outside for three plus hours. And you know, I mean, yes, it's iconic, but I don't think the people that that were there. I mean, they would all go back. But would you, knowing that you've got to be that frigidly cold for that period of time? Can I wear like? 2017 technology <laughs> no. clothing and no. well no you got to fit in I got to fit era. in the period it's like time travel then, it's like then, timeless you've got to you've got to fit the role that might be a deal breaker then my I dad said he was when he was there he was wearing like a 30 pound herringbone coat and uh, big mittens that he had had and you know other than that it's the, the technology didn't live the way it does now from standing no. the cold. Did people layer up like they do now, or was uh, it? Sure, I, I mean, bet, but not with but the same. Not with the same. So, you know, so down and Gore-Tex. What would you? I say that I you think the Braves, Braves game, 57. yeah, the fifty-seven Braves are winning the pennant in that game. I mean, the eighty-two Brewers game five would have been pretty good. How about the Bucks uh, NBA championship with Lou Alcindor? Would you go back uh, and, and experience that that moment? Those that moments would have been pretty good too. Kind of like. Before my time, yeah, for so, for me too. I mean, that's yeah. I'm seven or eight years old when that happens. So, and I think of the Packers in those first two Super Bowls, but the Super Bowl games themselves didn't have the same panache no, that they the, do now. The championship games were bigger than the Super Bowls. Yeah, so at that point, I'm just I'm just wondering if um if if people if you had a choice eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy. Now, if Pilch was going back, Pilch would go back. Mike Pilch has joined us instead of John Audius. Pilch would go back to one of the Cleveland Browns Super Oh, no, it didn't happen. I mean, like, John would go back to one of the Vikings Super Bowl. No, that didn't. Uh... No. What about one of the 10 straight title games the Browns played in from 46 to 55? Does that yeah, count? Yeah, you'd want to go back to one of those. You know what my pick would be? Because it wouldn't be in-state. It would be Ohio-based. 
Um, but well, I have two picks. One overall, one for Ohio would be Bob Feller's debut in 36 in an exhibition game against the Gas House Gang Cardinals when he was so intimidating because of his velocity and wildness. Leo DeRocher actually hid behind a the water fountain so he didn't have to hit against them. Hmm. All right, so that's 1936. Yeah, and then my overall would be the final game of the 1912 World Series, Red Sox-Giants. They wrote books about it. One of the most epic games ever played. Christy Mathewson blowing a two-run lead in the ninth. Fred Snodgrass dropping an easy fly ball, then making a miraculous catch. <laughs> Clutch left and right. Tris Speaker, a drop pop-up. Tris Speaker yelling out at Mathewson, saying, you're going to pay for that, son. Very next pitch, singles up the middle to tie the game. Just epic amounts of clutch in that game. And Smokey Joe Wood and Relief getting the win. That would be my all-time number Hardcore one. Hardercore covered that game, I believe. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, he and Lucas, Mike Lucas, were there in tandem. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would always I would always say I'd go back to the uh, 1980 Miracle on Ice. But if I were going back to a state game, I, I think I would go to that 94 Rose Bowl win for Wisconsin football, the first ever Rose Bowl win. Daryl Bevel against UCLA, and when and when the clock ran out after UCLA's quarterback was down inbounds and the clock ticks down, I think that is one of the great moments. Now there's nothing wrong with 57. I could, but I just don't know it as well. So if I could go back and relive something that's happened in yeah. my lifetime, I would go. I think I would go back to that Rose Bowl win for Wisconsin. Second on that list would be Favre and Reggie White and the Packers winning the '97 Super Bowl '96 season, right uh, in New Orleans, and White gets the two sacks late, and uh, Brett Favre hits Andre Risen and Antonio Freeman for touchdowns, and Desmond Howard returns a kick for a touchdown. I think that would be right there too, obviously. Eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy. You want to weigh in? Eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy. All right, we were going to go to Appleton and get John's thoughts on what he'd like to see. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, great show. Um, this has to be a Wisconsin affiliate, correct? Well, I mean, I'll let you go off the board. You you choose. What would you go back to? Well, you did mention the. Um, 1980 Olympic hockey game. That would be my number one. Yeah, that one would be pick. the first choice, I think, for a lot of us. But after Correct. that, what would be your choice? Yeah, and I do want to preface you. Know, you brought up that first Super Bowl in 13 degree below with the wind chill being whatever. Yeah, the ice. But ball. that was yeah. also a time period when you could bring antifreeze in the game with you. Well, they didn't sell beer at the game because they couldn't keep their lines from freezing, so you could carry in. Could carry in. Well, yeah, you, you had that in, flask. It froze. It, unless you had, you had alcohol in a flask. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you could have done that. So having known, you know, with that option, that would be really cool, knowing what we know now with the ice bowl and what, you know, what <laughs> so it's... It, drunk you, and cold. You think the schnapps would have kept you warm enough that uh, you'd have been all right? Correct. And okay. I was at the game when Howie Long's last game was at Green Bay when the Oakland Raiders came, and I believe we were driving up I-43. And our and our uh, I'd, I'd have to check, you know, I have to ask my friend. I couldn't remember, but it was I think it was minus sixteen. <laughs> but it, there was no wind. <laughs> he, was, he was into the flask on that trip too. He doesn't remember. Yeah, He'd have to ask remember. the friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would pick would be the first Super Bowl, just because knowing now what. You know, now what we know what a Super Bowl is and having it in Green Bay 
and just seeing Lombardi on the sideline, yeah. and we call it the Lombardi Trophy, that's pretty iconic. Right. John, thanks for the phone call. Appreciate it, John, listening in Appleton. So just a clarification for the listeners out there that were already correcting. That was in a Super Bowl. That was the yeah. what is now known as the NFC Championship game. It was, was the it. NFL Championship game. They played the Super Bowl a couple of weeks later uh, in Los Angeles, maybe just a week later in L.A. in the Coliseum. Uh, that's John and Appleton frees up the phone line, 877-729-1070. We're going to stay in Appleton and talk to Phil. Hi, Phil. How are you? Hi, how are you today? Good. Thanks for calling. What's going on? Good. I would have to say Game 5 of the 1982 World Series. Um, we go, go, go back to because at my age, that was the first time that any Wisconsin team really had any success in postseason play. Yeah, and, mm. and, and I would, you know, maybe we're on the same page here. I would have gone back to game five of the ALCS against the California Angels at County Stadium. The Brewers were down in that series 2 nothing in Anaheim and then came back to Milwaukee, won, um, and then won again in game four. And then game five right. is the Cecil Cooper get down single to left field. Uh, I would have wanted, and I wasn't, but I would have wanted to be in that stadium on that day. I would love to have relived that moment. So that would yeah, play into that. That's it. Yeah, and I don't know if, if that's what Phil was referring to. Although Game 5 of the World Series was also in Milwaukee, and the Brewers won to go up three games to two, but then... That'd be pretty delicious, but yeah. They didn't finish. Yeah. You, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want it to be in Bush Stadium for oh, rain-soaked Game 6. But right? wasn't Pete Ladd's two-strike pitch uh, that was called a ball, wasn't that a strike? Eighth, was that the eighth inning? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. I have to, you know, at some point again, I'm going to rewatch the, and it's available. You can see it whether it's on YouTube or whatever. You can see that whole game. Um, but uh, the Brewers had had their chances uh, where that's concerned too. Eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy is the phone number. We're going to go to Mark in Madison. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hey guys, how are you doing? Good. Great. What's up? Um, gosh, you know it's basketball season, so I think I'd love to go back and see the Bucks win the championship. Uh, especially see uh, Oscar Robinson and Leo Sindor uh, capture that championship. But when you guys talk about the 94 Rose Bowl, gosh, I remember being on campus and watching that game and everything that went along with it. It was pretty uh, crazy. And uh, just from the, the drought of uh, having no championships for the Badgers for so many years, I guess I had a question. Would you, if you, if you went back, would you know what the outcome was going to be? <laughs> mm. Well, that's a fair question. Or can the Would outcome you, change? Are you, so no, no, wait, you can't, you we're can't already in the DeLorean, change. but do you get Biff Tannen Sports Almanac to go with it? <laughs> Doesn't that come with it? Exactly. Would you be in the stands annoying your friends saying, I know it's going to happen. Bevel's going to run this one 20 yards and run it in. Uh, I think I'd want to not know. But, I mean, yeah. if I'm going back, I'm going to know until I get there. But I wouldn't want the result to be able to change, Pilch. What the heck's wrong with I'm you? I'm just throwing it out there. I like the Biff Tannen sideline. That's got to be one of the greatest ideas ever if you go back in time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, cool, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Man. It's a good discussion. Thank you. Appreciate the phone call. 877-729-1070. All right. We've got Rhino's up next. Hey, Rhino. Hey, guys. Uh, I can't imagine my answer is going to be a very common answer, but if I had to go back to one sporting event, with hindsight, it would have to be when Favre came in in relief, when, when Domichkowski got hurt against the Bengals and led them back to the victory. Knowing what his career turned into, it would just be nice to see when the legend was born in Green Bay. 
Yeah, the the legend uh, to Kittrick Taylor, right? Uh, that's the that was the last the touchdown name. pass, Kittrick Taylor. Yeah, um, and and yeah, that that moment uh, to kick it all off in Green Bay, and and I wish that the last moment in Green Bay was different, but Favre's last Packers moment in Green Bay is the overtime interception against the New York Giants. I'll tell you what, though. I, I went to the game um, the week before that against Seattle, the Snow Globe game, that uh, Ryan Grant had fumbled two times early in the first quarter, and the Packers were down 14 nothing, And that game turned into a halftime third-quarter Snow Globe. Green oh. Bay came all the way back to, to win the game somewhat handily in the fourth quarter. Favre had an underhand pass, I believe, to maybe to Bubba Franks. Um, you know, there were, that that was one of the... And I was there. I would go back to that day over and over again because it was it was spectacular. And the roads That's getting it. to and yeah. from were, were nasty, terrible. But uh, I would do it again without any hesitation. Uh, did you say we had time for one more? Yeah, let's call? do one more here. Bob is waiting in Brookfield. Hi, Bob. How are you? I am very good and reminiscing about my being at the 1994 Rose Bowl game against UCLA. That was the most exciting thing I ever saw in sports. Yeah, and I think, is it Wayne Cook, the uh, UCLA quarterback who uh, ran the ball on a play and stayed in bounds and they couldn't stop the clock? And as soon as, as, soon as he was tackled, um, I started jumping up and down and, because I was uh, watching yeah. in my living room, and it was over. And uh, Terry Donahue realized it. Barry Alvarez realized it. Um, and that moment was, it was spectacular. Uh, there aren't many. I forgot that who was our quarterback that did a quarterback sneak to get us to the end zone to put us ahead. Well, I mean, Daryl Bevel was the quarterback. Daryl Bevel. Yeah, Bevel had that long touchdown run um, in which he was not a runner. Uh, he was slow. Now, like he's Tom Brady slow, and and he had a touchdown run in that game that was. Um, uh, I mean that's that's the highlight, and it was uh, you know it was pretty, but it was slow, pretty and slow, pretty and slow. Now we're going to visit with Brian Anderson, the television voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, and uh, and Brian Anderson will join us when we come back from commercial break. We'll talk about some of the baseball issues, and he has insight uh, because he was in some meetings on that very subject earlier today. Brian Anderson, Fox Sports Wisconsin, the voice of the Brewers, joins us coming up next on the Mike Heller Show. They're the in crowd, we're the other ones It's a different kind of cloth that we're cut from We let our color show where the numbers ain't We're the paint where there ain't supposed to be paint That's who we are This is the Mike Keller Show That's how we roll Call the show at 877-729-1070 Send a tweet at Mike Keller Show. Now, here's Mike Keller. With you and working our way into the 5 o'clock hour on this Wednesday afternoon, Mike Keller and Drew Olson with you in studio, taking you up until just before 6 o'clock on this late spring day in the middle of February, which is going to go away, by the way. We understand it's going away tomorrow. Don't do that to me. Yeah. Uh, lovely today, uh, but winter is, is coming back. And it's a good respite. It was like a 
It was like a Mexican vacation, but without all the drinks and in uh, the pool. It is National Margarita Day. I know. Yeah. So what are you doing when the show's done? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, welcome aboard into the 5 o'clock hour. Mike Heller, Drew Olson with you. Mike Pilch back at our studios in Madison. We are in Milwaukee today, both of us in the same studio, and we welcome in uh, one of our favorites, Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Wisconsin, the television voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, and now the NBA and a college basketball. And what else? What's the strangest sport that you've called, Brian? That's quite an introduction. Thank you. Yeah, you're um, welcome. Strangest sport? Um, probably I was the the poolside reporter for the Big Twelve Swimming and Diving Championships. Is that right? Did you have yeah. a background? So every time they'd come out of the water, I'd be, <laughs> I'd have to kneel down, and you know they wanted that instant reaction. So I felt like I was going to fall in the whole time. <laughs> I'd, I'd be asking the divers for the, about those chamois, those magic cloths that they use to dry themselves off. I'm just fascinated by those. Oh, you know what? I got I got one more actually. I just remembered this. It, it was very brief. Um, I called. It was a it was a marketing promotional. Thing. It was at a Spurs game, and I called play-by-play of the Mascots Challenge on Fox Sports Southwest. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, so it was like Shamu the Whale and Henry the Puffy Taco and <laughs> all, the, all the local mascots. So that's probably uh, my claim to fame, actually. You yeah. know, I totally forgot about that. That's resume tape material. Absolutely. Heck yeah, man. I was trying to get some tape out of that. They didn't record, unfortunately. The guy who preceded me with the Milwaukee Admirals beat at the old Milwaukee Journal, he uh-huh. was playing in a celebrity broom ball game against mascots, mm-hmm. and he checked Mayor McCheese into the boards, <laughs> and the mayor got stuck on his back and couldn't get up, and everybody booed him for the rest of the game. He was like the villain. <laughs> Can't drop the mayor. <laughs> you can't. Great, uh, it's spectacular. Great names, yeah. That, that's that. That's my list. Uh, well, let's let's touch a little bit on what uh, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball are doing. It's been making it, this is a downtime in the sports cycle anyway. So it's it's really in, in this twenty four hour news cycle. It's found its way to the top of the page a lot over the last day or so. Uh, the intentional walk, the, it, just the automatic signal, and going to first base. Uh, Rob Manfred is is committed to changing the pace of the game, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, in your view of it, what what is that addressing? Is it is it addressing the time, the length of game, or is it addressing action on the field? Yeah, it's addressing action on the field. So, and he's made that really clear. And we just came from the Fox MLB seminar in Los Angeles, and so we got a full uh, report from Tony Petiti who heads up the broadcasting side of Major League Baseball, former producer, used to work with CBS, former executive producer, MLB Network. So um, the television side, more than ever in baseball, uh, there's a strong voice in the room, and Tony Petiti and Rob Manfred certainly leans on him for a lot of that information. And um, they they released a, a number of studies. They've spent a lot of time and effort and money on studies on the game. And so... Pace a game 
is the right word to use. It's not really time of game. Game time, you know, will vary. It's just going to – it's baseball. It doesn't have a clock or it doesn't now anyway. It might. But um, it's just one of those things that's going to end up where it is. But pace of the game um, is a real concern for them. And what they're – when let me define pace for you a little bit because the way it was explained to us, and they measured all of these pieces, and they had a big pie chart out, and these are all the things that slow pace down, meaning – time between action and that time between action is getting larger and larger the gap is wider so what they did was they took the first pitch i believe it was of the 1954 world series maybe and then last year's world series it was a world series game in the 50s and they they kicked it off two screens first pitch started the wheels in motion and it was significant how fast that game was played everybody says you know i'm an old school baseball guy and i'm and i want i don't want to change the rules because i'm old school well old school baseball was much more entertaining there was much more um action quicker there were more resolutions faster so rarely did you get to four pitch counts um most of the time i think the average was something maybe two seven two eight so this time between pitches, batters were in and out or rarely stepped out if they did. Pitchers were always on the rubber. Signs were, uh, were quick. Very few visits to the mound. And and really the big one is very few uh, pitching changes mid-inning. And so obviously what came up as significant was the seventh inning of the World Series. I believe it was game two. And they, they used seven pitchers. The inning lasted an hour and 14 minutes. Mm. And it just brought the game to a standstill. Now, you wouldn't say that that was not entertaining because the World Series was huge ratings and it was a great World Series. But I think Rob Manfred's concern and television's concern really is what's driving a lot of this is that we want pace quicker. We want action quicker, so those true results. And so then they did a number of studies on what has actually happened and strikeouts are up, home runs are up, yes, Um they feel like baseball feels like by raising that strike zone a little bit, it's going to get to a resolution a lot faster because strikes are being called that are unhittable pitches. If you start the sequence in motion, right? If you're trying to, as a pitcher, trying to hit a specific spot that's going to get a strike at the hollow of the knees, a lot of guys are missing that spot. So then you're getting deep counts. Batters are, are taking those pitches. They're getting at a deep count. So, um, they did this pie chart on all the things that could possibly be looked at collectively to speed up the game, eliminating the intentional walk, um, just, you know, waving a guy to first base, pitching changes, visits to the mound, uh, all these elements, commercial breaks. I mean, it was all up for discussion, and they, they broke it down really well, explained it really well, and it was the same presentation they delivered to the players. And judging by the confidence of Tony Petiti in Major League Baseball at the seminar, I felt like all most of these changes, if not all of them, were going to be put in place. They were very confident, and they had the numbers to back it up. They put a lot of effort into it. So I can understand why when the players' union decided, no, we're not going to do any of this right now, that they were taken aback a little bit. Um, the players' union has not done any research on this. They just, it's, For me, it's just a stake in the ground. They didn't just didn't want to concede things when – they don't have to yet, and it just feels like a negotiating topic. Instead of 
clearing the deck of four or five. Drew, you've been involved in labor relations when it was at its worst, but instead of clearing the deck of four or five items, those four or five items that are still there are going to be there next year. And so it doesn't allow them to move on to things that are more controversial. So for me, it just it looks bad on the players' union, in my opinion. Um, and I think baseball felt really good about their position on all this. So couldn't Rob Manfred respond to this and to the players dragging their feet by saying, all right, we're going to enforce what's on the books already, which they tried a couple years ago. But to me, you mentioned guys stepping out and guys taking a walk around the mound and things. If you shave three seconds between each pitch over 300 pitches, that's, we can save 10, 15 minutes right there. Yeah, right. I, and I don't think – here's the main thing. The, the takeaway for me is this is just my opinion, just from the outside, right? I, don't, I haven't spoken to anybody about this. But it feels a lot like our political climate right now. So, so Tony Clark and the Players Union put some stakes in the ground, as I mentioned. They took a stance. They took a pretty firm one, too. And so Rob Manfred is now, it's, it's his time on the clock. And he can either, okay, yeah, well, we'll, we'll just we'll handle it next year and make it a non-news story. Instead, he went on the aggressive side and acted as the aggressor. He put baseball in this wheel of discussion, every talk show in America is talking about this today, at least those talk shows that are interested in baseball. And now the players are kind of, the players' union is kind of in this wheel of critique. And I think Rob Manfred took a calculated risk that, first of all, we can implement all of these changes next year unilaterally. We don't need baseball's consent. We were giving you a grace for a year. There's a lot of really small things that they were hoping to do and then there's bigger things down the road that I can share with you if you want, but that they have in mind. But I think once Tony Clark took that stance, I think Rob Manfred, in all of his years of labor negotiations, you remember he was he was the guy in the Bud Selig era that dealt with a lot of these labor deals. So he's been through a lot of these. And for me, it's just about the negotiation at this point. And so the stakes are in the ground, and now we'll see – where we go from here. And I also think one thing, you know, the, some players I've talked to and just the general feel, talking to some reporters, um, I had a chat with Kent Rosenthal uh, while we were in L.A., but, and his sense is my sense that a lot of players aren't real happy with what they gave up. Um, there's a lot of stuff off the field that they gave up, and I just think there's a little bit of the players, maybe this this cloud of, of trying to push Tony to take a, fir- a firmer stance. You know, you remember how firm Donald Fear was on everything. I hope we don't get back to that because then it becomes it becomes always about the negotiation and chips that you're giving up. And we're in labor peace, and that's a great thing for baseball. And uh, I just feel like, man, it, it, I didn't like the tone of it all, but I think Rob Manfred is speaking from a, a point of leverage that he has and he's going to take his point of leverage and put that stake in the ground right now. So now we'll see what the next steps will be next year. Brian, you mentioned the bigger picture moves that the baseball will uh, indeed like to implement as we go down the road. Uh, what are a couple of those, and how do baseball purists view those potential moves? Well, that's the big discussion, Mike, because there, I think there's two camps, right? And then, And I've said this. As well, and I, I mean, I'm glad that they presented this because I feel the same way. First thing you have to do is decide: Are we trying to please the baseball purists, or are we trying to gain a new audience? And until you define that, 
then you can't move forward. So if you're trying to gain new audience, then you have to have some pretty significant changes. Um, I think baseball feels like the pitching changes are probably the biggest piece. Now, obviously, ad time, the gaps between commercials, the two and a half minutes that we get to and we get into the playoffs. So for a local game, it's a two-minute break. And for a national game, it gets into two and a half, 240. And so, you know, that could be addressed. I, I think the networks would be very hesitant to do that. Um, but I think baseball wants to try to limit the trips to the mound or wants to try to limit mid-inning pitching changes. So that is a big piece. And they also want to – they don't want to implement a clock between pitches, which is used in the minor leagues now. But they want that clock present or at least understanding that things are taking too long between pitches, the stepping out, the changing of the batting gloves, the you know, you think David Ortiz or, or a pitcher backing off. And so there's a combination of um, – of entries on how to how to legislate that for Major League Baseball because players are not doing it themselves. They've asked the players two years ago. They asked the players, "Can you can you speed it up? We're going to try to enforce it with our umpires." It just doesn't happen, and it just doesn't because players go through their checklist, and then you have this whole wheel of of checklist going on. This wheel of operation after a pitch is made, right? So then you start the next the next wheel. My, my take on a lot of this is that you should, most importantly, call strike strikes by the letter of the rule book. Now, because I think even though you would make the zone bigger, you would get to a faster resolution. It's going to put hitters in, in better counts. They're going to be more aggressive, which I think the stats prove that more aggressive hitters have more success. Um, so that, for me, is the main one. And then I've always said that, you know, I think as television we need to figure out ways where we can help. And I, my proposal, and not that anyone asked, but what I've said on the air is that we do 90-second breaks and make that 30-second extra, make that a premier, um, what we call an elevator or a logo, like they do at the Masters, and just put that on the screen, make that a premier ad spot, though. So, um, you know, those are my thoughts. If you're gonna, If you're trying to gain new audience, then now you start looking at a lot of things. You start looking at seven inning games, you start looking at uh, two halves, you start trying to make things quick, a lot tidier, keeps more team more teams in. It's uh, less use of bullpen. So John Smoltz did a did a study on um, on relievers being used, and the injuries are more and more significant than they've ever been because guys are having to get up, and it's all max effort now. So that's one area that you know for me I think they could really they could really um, follow through on from a competitive balance situation. But, again, you got to have players to authorize that. You could minimize the number of, um, of pitchers you have on a team. So I think all these little things incrementally will help the pace of the game and get to a quicker conclusion um, per, per at-bat. And that's what they're looking for. I don't think they're concerned at all with time of the game. You hit on things that are evolutionary, both the physical. There's more guys, there's more pitchers throwing in the upper 90s now than we've ever seen. And there's more batters, like you said, working deeper in counts, trying to get walks. And that that part has evolved too. And that's why you have a third of plate appearances ending in walks or strikeouts, which is not actually, you know, even a, a ground ball to short is more exciting than a walk or a strikeout. Right, right. And so for me, I believe that 
if you couple things, if you limit the amount of mid-inning pitching changes, I like the number three. Uh, I've talked about it with a few guys. Number three feels like a good number to me. Three in a game per team. Three uh, mid-inning. You could mid-inning. have. Yep. You could use nine pitchers in yep. nine different innings, and it wouldn't affect it at all. But three mid-inning changes. So that, from a manager's perspective, now you're going to manage the game differently. You're probably going to stack up your pitchers. You know, usually things slow down late in games. Um, so if you're for, if you know you're out there and you're going to have to finish an inning, you're going to have to be more economical. Uh, your starter has to be more economical, and and I think changing the strike zone, opening up to what it is, to what it really is, is going to, especially the high strike. So for me, the high strike, and everybody talks about, well, that's where home runs are hit. That's true. But nobody, no hitter is concerned with a high strike. They all have their mental, you know, ceiling on what a high pitch is, right? So nobody ever gets out on a bad high curveball or a high typically a high fastball uh, that's way out of the strike zone. So if you bring in the strike zone, if you bring it up just a little bit, up over the belt, now you open up this window where a pitcher can now use for deceit, right, which is what pitchers are trying to do, deceive the hitter. Right now, they're only using, hitters only have to worry about three quadrants, inside, outside, bottom. That's all they worry about. They don't have to worry about the high strike because it's rarely called. Now, a lot of guys want to swing at it because it's a favorable pitch. But you bring it. The example I want to use is Marco Estrada. So now that spin rate is a big part of the game and people can measure this, you're realizing pitchers who throw 89, 90 miles an hour can still spin the ball at a very high rate, which gives the hitter the illusion that it rises or it finishes. It won't mm-hmm. drop as much with gravity. And so Marco Estrada is now making a living at the top of the strike zone. Think about Mike Fires when he was going at his best, right? And what was the pitch he used off that high fastball? A changeup and a curveball, right? A high curveball. So these are all pitches that now you can bring into play if you're getting the high strike. And that, that for me, means more strikes, more aggression from the hitter, and faster results. I mean, that's not the only thing, but I think that would be a huge help, in my opinion. Visiting with Brian Anderson, Fox Sports Wisconsin, our voice of the Milwaukee Brewers for television and a lot of network uh, work as well. Um, so uh, in our final moments here, because we could talk about this at length, and, and I think we already are, but it, for me it's very interesting. But in the final moments here, does Rob Manfred have the executive power to rip the Band-Aid off on this in twenty seven or 2018 rather, and actually implement these things without the Players Association agreeing? Yes, he does. That's all part of the, you know, the, the for the betterment of the game clause, if the players can't police themselves. That's why he's taking such a strong stance now, right. because he does have that hammer. And so he, and he will, and baseball will. Even, you know, even the documents we saw said, you know, 2017 question mark, 2018 implementation. So there is no concern. I mean, they don't want to start off this way with this new agreement. They don't want to start this way, but, you know, I think they will. And, you know, the game's healthy. It really is. The game's really healthy. The ratings are up The uh, across the board. Their impressions on digital, is that's, you know, probably the next wave. And I think you could do a lot of things with that. Um, Tony Clark threw out something that I think ruffled Rob Manfred's feathers, too, that we need to teach the game better. And the Players' Union has always been hesitant to put microphones on players. So if we're going to have a coach visit the mound, if we want to teach that 
what, why that's important to, to an audience, then let us put a mic on them, and we'll be able to teach that. Because we don't know what they're saying. We don't, I mean, we can guess, but, you know, most of the time it's buying time for a reliever to get ready, right? So if, yeah. if you can't make any mid-inning pitching changes, you know, other than, say, the three that you're awarded, I mean, that, that changes everything. It changes strategy, and, and then it gets you back to what baseball was. You rely heavily on your starter. For me, a seven-inning game would work. If you're trying to, I mean, I'm as old school and traditional as I get, but if you're trying to bring new fans to the game, you make a seven-inning game, your starting pitcher is going to be able to pitch more often and finish more games, and those those pitchers are going to be able to be big-time stars now, like they really aren't anymore, because everybody's into a five-man rotation, and there are very few celebrities in that regard. It's also going to keep players on the field more, your star players, because seven innings is totally doable. And they, and they do that in the minor leagues. They play seven-inning doubleheaders. They have two halves. keeps everybody in it. So if you want to go nuclear and try to get new fans, that's what you got to do. If I run into Rob Manfred in Arizona when Mike and I are there in a couple of weeks, I'm going to say, uh, just give the players back their full meal money and you can get whatever you want from <laughs> That's them. huge, right? Oh my God, that's such a big topic. I mean, it is and you imagine how us announcers feel who are tied into that. So we're like, what? You guys are going to be hungry. How are we going to eat? <laughs> feel like I'm in the minor leagues again. Oh, man. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> hey, Brian, thanks for spending a, a little extra time with us. Uh, this is really interesting stuff, yeah. and it's going uh, to be a big topic as we get through 2017. Too. And come back and talk college hoops when you're getting ready to shift into yeah. that. Yeah, we're on our way. We've got the Big Ten tournament coming up in a – couple of weeks and then right to the NCAA tournament. So happy to do that. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you, Brian. All right, you're welcome. Brian Anderson joining us on the Mike Keller Show. It, it, does that some of that stuff surprise you, that, that the direction that they're going? I mean, Brian's talking about nuclear, but it doesn't seem far-fetched that no. they're going to go this direction in 2018 I'm telling you, and the players they, be damned on this one. They're, they're, and, again, they're, it's not – the, the game's not in trouble. It's just they're trying to get younger. They're trying to get people more into – they're trying to get young people – to pay more attention and to not say what you hear anybody under 35 might say baseball's boring yeah they don't want to hear that yeah uh interesting if you have reaction to it uh, weigh in 877-729-1070 877-729-1070 we're late on a break this is the mike heller show Back with you on this Wednesday edition of the Mike Keller Show. I just think it's really intriguing to find uh, that Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred uh, is... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So set on changing the dynamic of the game. We haven't seen this in any other of our other pro sports. You know, the NBA a long time ago uh, shifted to a 24-second shot clock in the three-point arc. Yeah. Since then, there have been no dynamic changes in the way the NBA game is played. The NFL's biggest changes have been to implement replay, which all the sports have done, and to move the extra point back. 
That's the yeah. big changes in the National Football League. There are subtle yeah. rule subtle interpretations. Quarterbacks are what untouchable. And, yeah. and the tuck like, rule, things of yeah. that nature. Maybe in, in the NBA, maybe hand checking was a little bit more prevalent yeah. back in the day. But from a from a fundamental rule changes of the game, the direction it appears that Major League Baseball is going to go in. Um, would be significant a strike zone change, which is again subjective because it's not and a it's not an that's automatic. the beautiful thing because it's already in the rule book. The rule book says right. from the letters down to the knees, right? And it's and you never see a pitch above the belt called a strike anymore. From the concept of limiting pitching changes, mid inning pitching that's changes, that is a significant uh, game changer. Radical and you know Brian's right that seven inning thing would make people. You oh, it freaked people out it because it's a rec- it's a game of records, right? And, yeah. and then you're throwing away all those records, complete games, wins, losses, all of those, you know, pitching statistics, hitting statistics, you know, because sure. now it changes number of at bats per person that, that go through a season. All of those things, records get thrown out the window. From you know, you're not going to compare yeah. 1950s to 1990s to 2010s. And what Brian said is, it's such a good point. I've never heard anybody say that, um, that you know, starting pitchers aren't stars anymore like they used to be. There's yeah. a handful of them, but for the most part, they're not the guy. They're not el hombre. Right. They're not because they're, you know, it, it's, you see the starting pitcher sometimes for five innings. And in but but for some of the teams that have been there uh, down the stretch, and the Cubs had starting pitching stars, you know, last year in winning the World Series. And, and, that's part of their mo, but it also it's different the way Joe Madden deals with it. But there's a lot of different moving parts here, and Rob Manfred and Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association, they're not seeing eye to eye. But guess who has executive authority? And that's why I asked yeah. Brian the question last. There would is Rob Manfred prepared to rip the Band-Aid off next year and to radically change the direction of the game without players' approval? And he said, yes, that is the direction that this is going. And that's uh, it's going to be stunning. It's interesting because – and they've had a – you know, Tony Clark's under some fire. They, they didn't do well in the last negotiation. Things have tilted in, in part because of what Rob Manfred has accomplished in his career. Things have tilted back to the owners. There was a 30-year run where the players won every game they could win. They were unbeaten for 30 years, and yeah. now uh, things are evening out a little bit. Eight seven 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 two nine ten seventy. Really interesting conversation. Your reactions. Let's begin with Robert in Madison. Hi, Robert. Good evening, gentlemen. And good evening to you. So, I just want to say there's bit, the phrase that people have been using to describe baseball's issues has been pace of play, as if the games taking less time will make it more interesting. But college football games, NFL games. They take three and a half hours, and you never hear about pace of play issues at those. The word that Brian used in his previous segment that I thought described it best was he talked about resolutions and making more resolutions throughout the game. And you were saying about how there haven't been a lot of rule changes in basketball and football, but what do we see in those sports? We see a lot of little minor things to improve offense scoring, no hand-checking in basketball, for example, the tighter pass interference rules in football. I think you do the same thing in baseball. I think you expand the strike zone. I think if the technology is there, you robo-ump it so the batters and the pitchers know what that strike zone is going to be. And then if a game takes three and a half hours, fine, but when you have that expanded strike zone, you 
would hopefully have more hits, more base runners, more cliffhanger moments. And I, I, I think that's the main key right there. Well, I think it's yeah, interesting, I mean, Drew, uh, to get your perspective on – I think fundamentally somebody would, would initially look at it and say, if you expand the strike zone, aren't you making it tougher for the hitters? And I think the converse might be true. That's Yeah, and that's kind of what Brian was getting at, putting them in a more aggressive posture. And what people are trying to get away from is, again, if it's a 10-8 to 8 game and it takes three and a half hours, people aren't that – nobody's screaming for a refund. It's the four-hour slogs – that's three to two, and there's each team has six hits, and you see twelve pitching changes, which is just there's not and there's nothing to those. To games. some level, it flies in the face of what Joe Madden did as manager of the Chicago Cubs last year, who were one of the better teams in all of baseball at working pitchers' counts. If you expand the strike zone, pitchers' counts won't be up as high because hitters don't hitters have the luxury will. anymore of keeping the bat on their shoulder on a two-one pitch. If a 2-1 pitch or even the opening pitch of an at-bat, you know, we see Jonathan VR be aggressive on first pitches of at-bats. However, in Chicago, they weren't that way. They were selective in those approaches. Many times they were the best in Major League Baseball at working pitcher counts. If you expand the strike zone, hitters have to lose that mentality. So does a manager. You have to change the way you approach the game. You can't live just by sabermetrics and the, the... numbers and the research on it, you have to say, okay, now our approach has to be different. Because the strike zone is expanded and will be enforced at the bottom and at the top, you have to swing the bat more often. And having starting pitchers go deeper lessens the need for pitching changes. I mean, nothing against him, but Carlos Torres pitched in like 72, 73 games last year, and you see guys like that. And you pay any money to see Carlos Torres pitch? He was phenomenal, and I don't want to rip him, but the middle relief guys like that, that you see every game, it just, that's not, you know, I don't know that that's the best thing for baseball. It's, it's interesting to get reaction to this, and we'll get back to your phone calls. I know a couple of you are waiting. We'll get to you in just a moment as we continue on The Mike Heller Show. Talking about changes going on in Major League Baseball, I had a great uh, long-form visit with Brian Anderson, the uh, the television voice with Fox Sports Wisconsin for the Milwaukee Brewers, and also one of the rising stars where the network is concerned, and, and he does more and more work with TBS and TNT and, and the NCAA tournament, for that matter, and NBA playoffs, and just uh, one of the very, very good guys in the business, but also very talented guys in the business. And he joined us because he was in – on discussions, uh, the meetings today, I believe, or, or within was, uh, the last day yeah, or so. Yeah, within the last week, they had uh, their summit there yeah. in Los Angeles for Fox Sports, the baseball summit. So, so they get so all the producers to, together and yeah. all the, the talent like that. Here's the, the question, uh, just an observation on this. If Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball goes ahead and, and essentially signs the executive order in 2018 uh, to change the, the way strike zones are interpreted, mid-inning pitching changes, uh, many of those elements that, that will increase the action in a game, increase the pace of play, the, uh, the, the resolutions that go on in a game rather than strikeouts and walks, um, there will be fan bases in the top and bottom half of innings that will be equally upset. You know, that, right. that strike three called that is at the letters. It, you know, the, the team that is rooting for the hitter, is gonna, that is just terrible. And Damn. if you're the pitchers and, and that's your team, it's going to be great. There will be fan adjustments. There will be team adjustments. There will be player adjustments because it's not going to be grandfathered in. 
Like no. you're working this up through the minor no. leagues, it will be ripping It'll be the abrupt. Band-Aid off. Yeah, it's going to be really abrupt. And it is weird that um, that Tony Clark and the players are choosing this hill to to make a stand on, because some of these things, and it is kind of weird that you're coming out of a negotiation and you didn't have this, you know, button down these things because they, they could have. Who's the victim here from a base from a player standpoint? What what's Tony Clark protecting? Yeah, I mean. His players fiefdom. that are going to be upset that, that the high strike is called because yeah. the pitcher is going to be happy, the hitter is going well, to be mad. The players have had it pretty good for a long time. They don't want necessarily change. They don't want to evolve. They don't want to have feel like they're being told what to do. Yeah, and and it really That's does what it comes down, down to. to it. It is uh, as Brian mentioned. It's very much like politics in this country right now. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it, it something might be right, but you might not like the person or the way that it's being made to be. Or it could be wrong, and maybe you like the person that was doing it, you know, and whatever. But it's very political. And But the the deal is this. Tony Clark is in a position without power, correct, as we roll forward? Pretty much, yeah. yeah the, and the Rob Manfred has all the power. Yep. 877-729-1070. Andy joins us from Madison. Hello, Andy. Hey, Mike. I appreciate you taking my call here. I just had a comment on Brian's interview, which was great, by the way, but... The one that really stuck out to me was the, the seven-inning game, and, and he mentioned it in reference to making things a little bit easier for the casual fan, for the younger fan, to, to watch the game and it'll be shorter. But isn't that going to lower scoring? I mean, we're going to see pitchers, you know, like, for example, the Yankees, they're, they're not going to not use Chapman or Batances. They're going to still run those guys out in the sixth and seventh innings. So you're getting starting pitchers that are going to be able to throw – 96, 97 when they were trying to, you know, go seven innings before. Now they're only trying to go five innings. You know, these relievers are still going to be there. It's going to shorten the game and it's going to make scoring even more. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Or, I mean, is it higher that, scoring what kind sure. of attracts the, the casual fan? Yeah, but I don't know that we're talking about changing 162 games to seven inning games. Uh, you know, I think it's probably somewhere down that list of possibilities. I think more likely, Drew, would be... The uh, the concept of going to first half, second half champions. Yeah, uh, that's the way I would it, see it. It opens yeah. up, and now you suddenly you have a pennant race that is decided um, at the end of June, and a pennant race decided at the end of September. From a fan interest standpoint, that becomes a radical change in the game that uh, that creates two pennant races. Yeah, that's a reboot. You know, and th- th- I could see that. Yeah. The seven inning game, I don't, I don't think that's, we're not in danger of that happening. That's cutting out too many spots. What and they it's too might, many. but maybe they would do that in forced makeup double headers that they could potentially, because that's what minor leagues do yeah. right now. They're, they're, yeah. they're scheduled double headers or made up double headers are seven inning sure, games. Sure. The, the split, I think that's a great idea. I have no problem with that. I don't, I don't even know that the players would complain about that because those things, when you have, the makeup doubleheader, which a lot of times they split because of the gate now, yeah. and they'll play a day-night doubleheader, which is grueling and taxing, and you burn through so many pitchers that and invariably somebody gets sent down, like the guy who pitches four innings and can't pitch for a couple of days is sent down and replaced by somebody from the minor leagues just because he's more available, 
and that that might alleviate some of that. So there's, I think there's merit to that. It's fascinating discussions, though, on a number of fronts, but I still think call the strike zone like it is, have the umpires be you know, really vigilant in keeping guys in the box, shave off a couple of seconds between pitches, between each pitch, you do that and you can save 10 or 15 minutes and no one's complaining. Well, and if you, if you roll into the concept of three mid-inning pitching changes per game, per team, that's a that's it's a more game strategy. It's it's, it's chess match. It's a little bit like the challenge. And yeah, we haven't even really talked about replay adding to the you know these five minute replay right. delays are a little bit ridiculous. They're supposed to streamline that out of New York, but um, replays are only happening you know once a week to teams mostly. Yeah. It's like once or twice a week. But and, that manager that has to decide to stay with Matt Garza in the fourth inning, who has now thrown twenty four pitches in the inning and he has just one out and and a couple of runners aboard. Rather than go to your long reliever, now you only have two more mid-inning changes to go to. That means you can't match up 7th and 8th and ninth inning, lefty yeah. versus lefty or righty versus righty in an inning. Those are, I mean, those are fundamental uh, basic strategic changes for managers. Yeah, that would be, uh, and you know, managers might balk at that too. But and that they're kind of on the ownership side, right, technically. But we're talking about a two-and-a-half to three-minute window for every pitching change. Yep. So when we talk about a team that goes in, in mid-inning pitching change, it's not starting an inning doesn't matter, but a mid-inning pitching change, if, if collectively the two teams went through six of them or seven of them mid-inning changes in a game, we have added 21 minutes to the game just in mid-inning pitching changes. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, just by simply tweaking the strike zone, do you have to then? Like, are, are there fewer walks? I mean, can is that lefty, is the platoon advantage negated somewhat to where you can use guys longer and not change pitchers? Yeah, I just... I, that's, I, that's what's fascinating is we don't know where that would go. Okay, so here's here's the, the at the end of the day concept, and we're talking about 2018 that Manfred could have the executive authority to wield this powerful pen and put these things into action. For those of us who have loved the game our whole lives, I don't think that does anything but help it. And it also opens the door to millennials and younger to enter into a game that they feel at its core is too slow for them. I don't think, you know, because my my dad's generation is going to look at this and go, what are we doing to this game at a certain level? Yeah. I'm going to be uh, a little bit in between. I can see the positives. Uh, I, can, I can see the advantages. And what we're working on in Major League Baseball, what they really want is for this game, because they think it's healthy now, and Brian was talking about that when he joined us, it's a very healthy game in the moment. Their goal is to make sure that it's healthy in 2030 and 2040. So we're talking about the next generation rather than the average age watching World Series last year was 53 or something in the the low 50s. They want that number to come down. They, They want to attract the 20s. They want to attract the 30s. They want the teenager right now who's turned off because the game is too slow. They want that teenager to be tuned back in. Seeing a lot, uh, especially in Wisconsin, uh, youth baseball surging right now. There's indoor facilities. There's academies. There's select teams. There are players from our state getting scholarships to Division One schools all around, though there isn't one uh, outside of Milwaukee here. So it's it, it's a, it's an interesting discussion on so many levels. But 
one of the things I would say is at the end of games, and Brian brought up educating the, the masses, and, edu- and that's something that football has done a good job of. And I credit John Madden for being revolutionary, for kind of teaching people what's going on and, and diagramming plays and using the Telestrator. And Rock and BA do that very well. But taking people inside the strategy, what looks like it's dragging, when you're following a game, it doesn't drag. When you're thinking about all the things that could happen and what's going on and you, you follow the chess match, it doesn't drag. And when they're sending out uh, the, the the pitching coach to go to the mound just to stall after they've sent the catcher out a couple of times to get two relievers up or we're going to get a righty up and, oh, well, let's get a lefty up. Hey, get out there, Luke Roy, or get out there, uh, Pena, to go visit with the pitcher until the umpire you know walks out to the mound yeah. to pull you back. Those are the other things that uh, and those are and that's what Brian Anderson was talking about. If you mic up the the manager when he goes to the mound and you cannot live play the sound but later play the sound, it's a teaching moment. Now the sure. viewer at home is taken inside and you get knowledge of what otherwise like what the hell are they talking about? Candlesticks you know? make yeah. a good gift. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. Back to the great baseball movie, not that Field of Dreams crap that you like. Hey, no, hey, uh, hey, uh, hey, candlesticks hey. make a good gift. Yeah. No, and yeah, there's just so many things, but I, I just keep going back to the time between pitches because when I watch games on the classic network, network and see Ron Guidry throw in 1986, yeah, he was stood on the hill, got the ball back from the catcher, and was winding up. Like within three or four seconds, there it's are certain just so much faster that you're always going to remember that work quickly. Ron, Ron Guidry, you mentioned Jim Cott, uh, Greg Maddox worked quickly. Maddox would work the quickest games of anybody uh, in, in Major League history, and they're complete games, you know, yeah. in that era, I should say. Uh, but it's because and and there are different strategies, different philosophies there. But yes, fundamentally, and, shortening the time in between pitchers. And Brian also said there you could have a clock. But it would be more of a guide rather than a hard rule. Yeah. And umpires can be working on pitchers and on that clock to be more uh, twenty second pitch clock, it. or it's with nobody on. It's ball one. You know, yeah, let, let's it, see that called and see what happens. It, it it will be a very interesting watch to see what happens one year from now, uh, as far as what Rob Manfred is doing to institute these changes, because it certainly seems. That this is a serious deal. This isn't something we want to do to tweak the game. This is something that is going to be done, and you can either agree to it, or or, and we can negotiate it and walk through the process together, or we'll sign that uh, that with the executive order, with the with the poison pen there that says, "Hey, we're doing this, and you don't have a choice." Yeah, and umpires are going to be involved as well. Um, We had a couple of notable umpire resignations. Some long-standing guys. Bob Davidson and Jim Joyce and guys like that and uh, Hirschback, that that's an interesting changing the guard too. I mean, maybe easier to teach younger umpires and mold them a little bit into the new way. Of yeah, doing things. and also you'll see this as all of these changes come into play. They will be implemented at the minor league level, and it will be a painful adjustment for some currently. But that that pain will be mitigated as you work forward because players will be more accustomed that this is how the game is played. This is how it's umpired. This is how it's litigated. And you're going to go forward, and players are going to have a better understanding. A 34-year-old veteran next year that suddenly those rules will change might have a little bit tougher time adjusting to a high strike or things of that nature. true. Yeah. And just, just the trickle down from all of this is uh, how do you use your bullpen? You know, what if it was as simple as, hey, we're going to limit you to 11 pitchers on your staff? 
Okay. <laughs> then you're going to use your bullpen a lot differently than when you have 13. Right. And that would apply um, the way Craig Council and the Milwaukee Brewers have managed because his starting pitchers have almost across the board been six-inning starters. That's right. Uh, then there's the the revolutionary. We got to get Doug Melvin on the show to talk about this because his idea of starting the game out of the bullpen and bringing in your starting pitcher in the third or fourth inning and letting him finish and pitch the high leverage innings that he's now turning over to yeah. lesser pitchers, that's a genius idea. But you'd have to start it in the minor leagues. Yeah, well, it's good and interesting stuff. Our uh, thanks to Brian Anderson for jumping aboard with us uh, to have this conversation throughout the day today. Tomorrow. Uh, we will uh, we'll visit more on the Badgers will play tomorrow night at Ohio State. We'll have conversation with Tom Hardercourt in the 5 o'clock hour tomorrow as well. So we'll be able to visit on some of the things we've talked about today and get Tom's perspective on that as well. Uh, my thanks to Mike Pelch, who stepped in for John Audius, who was suspended midway through the show. <laughs> Drew Olson, thanks for uh, entertaining me today well, in sure. Milwaukee. And uh, we'll be back in studio tomorrow, beginning at 2 o'clock for many of our affiliates and 3 and 4 o'clock, depending on where you're located. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. This is The Mike Heller Show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.